Those men think they're dying for a good reason. Someone else's reason. So your reasons are true and theirs are false. They don't know their own minds, but you do. Well said. You're an eloquent man. Doesn't mean you're wrong. In my experience, eloquent men are right. Every bit as often as imbeciles. Shut your mouth. Mount your dragons and draw your swords. It's Game of Microphones with Sir Duncan the Fearsome and Lady Rachel of House Fox. Seven blessings, dragon riders and sacrificial princesses, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, a.k.a. Jack Death. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, practitioner of patience. (laughs) And this is episode 91. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season 5, episode 9, The Dance of Dragons. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to be burned alive at the stake, screaming by your loving parents, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) I'm still recovering from watching this episode, honestly. I can, like hear her screaming in my oh, God. head so brutal it's really bad oh, still a good episode though i mean aside from from that whole thing i know we go from like the worst scene to one of the best scenes <laughs> yeah one of the coolest <laughs> scenes ever yeah totally so what's uh your number five my number five is shireen and davos say farewell nice and we also get that Shireen is reading The Dance of Dragons, a true telling by Grand Maester Munkin. Yes. <laughs> Davos is like, well, that sounds like a proper story. <laughs> <laughs> so Shireen, you know, starts telling Davos about the story and that he polished a shield for a week until... The steel was like a mirror, and then he crouched behind it and crept forward, hoping the dragon would only see his own reflection. Right, Sir Byron (laughs) Swan. Yeah. But the dragon only saw a dumb man holding a mirrored shield. And burnt him to a crisp, which is... Chills. Horrible. Gives me chills, yeah, because obviously that's about to happen to her. Yeah, so this kind of foreshadows her being burnt to a crisp. Yeah, totally. And Davos is like, thus ending the 
dragon slaying career of Sir Byron Swan. I made you something, princess. And he pulls out the stag, which is sad. Yeah, and that thing is beautifully carved, though. Totally. Really nice Absolutely. job. He does, a, you know, he does a pretty impressive job for only having part of his fingers. Right? <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and uh, I noticed, uh, I think there's a, a parallel between Sir Byron Swan with the mirror shield and Stannis. How, how so? Because I have this in my notes, too. How do you... So basically, both of these guys tried to use trickery or cheats to overcome an enormous obstacle for Sir Byron Swan. Obviously, it was the dragon and the mirror was the cheat, the trickery. And for Stannis, it's this insurmountable winter and starvation and <laughs> freezing cold. And his cheat is uh, he's trying to skip a few levels with some power ups here by by burning, uh, burning Shireen at the stake. And it does not end well for either of these guys. Justice is swift in both cases. And uh, yeah, both end in fire. Yes, they do. <laughs> Dragon fire and creepy red woman fire. Yeah, pyre fire. Yeah. Um, although that's really the beginning for Stannis. The, his metaphorical fire comes with Brienne of Tarth next episode. Oh, yeah. So what did you have for your parallel? You, you wrote down something similar you said, right? I did. I, I basically said the same thing that you did was that, you know, hmm. this Byron Swan was using his shield to to get closer to his goal and stannis is using king's blood to get closer to his goal right you could say shireen is his shield in this case or something yeah so it's just awful it's a sad scene um because we know what happens but from a first time viewer again their their relationship davos and shireen it's such a cute relationship and yeah you know davos is like do you like it He's beautiful. Thank you. You're very welcome. Will you make me a dough so he can have company? And I thought that was I so will. cute. And it's so fucked up, though. You never make promises about the future in Game of Thrones or like no. it's guaranteed that it won't happen. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, yeah. This is so um, sad knowing what happens. Like every yeah. line here has a double meaning. Everything is just so brutal. This this is a this is a hard episode knowing what this was a definite for the rewatch for the rewatch testing the boundaries of for the rewatch. I almost stopped watching the show um, when this? this first aired. Yeah. I had a really, really, really rough time with it. I was a new mom and mm. I was just like, I don't know how someone could even think to write it, let alone like, you know what I mean? It was totally kind of messed with my mind a little bit. And I was like, I don't know. If they're going to start like burning little girls on pyres, I'm not sure I like the direction <laughs> where the like show the is the going. going. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because it hasn't happened in the book yet, but people had pieced together clues over the years of, of rereading, basically, in between all the books. So book readers have been predicting this adamantly for quite a while. Oh, interesting. And it was no surprise to book readers, although I'm pretty sure that Pretty much everybody was hoping that it wouldn't happen <laughs> just because it's so awful. Yeah. No one was hoping for it. Yeah, exactly. But this is one of the things that was highly predicted. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Well, 
cool, but not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. There's more like things with double meanings in this scene too. Coming coming right up, like right after the that line you just mentioned about making a dough, uh, so that the stag can have company. Yeah. Um, Shireen asks why she's getting a present, and Davos tells her it's because she deserves it, and that he was stubborn about learning to read. You know, his son was always trying to get him to read, but he said, you know, I made it this far without reading. It seemed to me I could I could make it to the grave. And uh, I thought it was just kind of funny that reading, Davos reading, which he finally agreed to do, which Shireen taught him, is the reason why Castle Black is still standing at this point and why the, the, the crows weren't all massacred, essentially, by Mance Raider. That's true. So yeah. just this one little thing, Shireen teaching, teaching Davos how to behave like an adult, <laughs> how, to, how to be a grown-up, saved so many people and... You know, had such a butterfly effect on the, on the universe. Good connection. That's crazy. I love that. Pretty nuts, right? So he says, it's a poor way of teaching, of saying thank you um, for teaching me to be a grown-up. Um, I'll want to hear all about the Dance of Dragons when, when I get back, he says to her. And she says, you'll read it yourself. And unfortunately, he's going to have to because she'll be dead. Yeah, and Ugh. he kisses her on the forehead and he kind of like lingers yeah. A little longer than a typical farewell, you know? Yeah, and I think he knows something is up. I think he knows something maybe up, but I think he also knows how dire the situation is. And that she's just in danger either way. She's she's in danger. Yeah. And he's also, in a way, in danger. He has to travel back to Castle Black. Right. And then go back to the the camp so i mean traveling on the i'm sure the king's road in those conditions or maybe not on the king's road if they want to stay off the king's road mm. and going all the way back up to castle black i mean there's somewhere between winterfell and castle black and isn't winterfell like a three-day ride to castle black i think it's like potentially even longer let's let's look it up real quick um it says 625 GRRM miles. <laughs> Gur miles. <laughs> 625? 625 miles. Damn. 630 miles from Wester from Winterfell to the Wall, making that a 21-hour journey at 30 miles an hour, which is like wow. way faster than you'd be traveling. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Even on horseback. Yeah, so that's like a good week's journey, probably. couple weeks. Maybe it's like three weeks. That's insane. For, for some reason, I felt like it was mentioned in the books when John and Tyrion is, went up to sure. the wall. Yeah, so if any of our listeners out there know the answer, let us know how long it takes to get, how many days it takes to get from Castle Black to Winterfell. It's a long ass trip. We know that. It's a long trip. So it's um it's a sad farewell and getting back to Davos lingering a little extra long. It it does it does take longer to say goodbye and so that is a clue to a first time viewer that yeah. possibly the last time they see each other which it is. And I I I went back and forth of putting the burning of Shireen in my top five because I know we're going to have to talk about it. And it's like, I don't want it to be the last thing we talk about. Right, right. <laughs> but I didn't end up putting it in my top five because it's not, 
even remotely close to a favorite scene of mine. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I think it's my number three or something. So we'll get it out okay, of the way cool. relatively early. Cool, cool, cool. Well, that's all I had for my number five. All so right. what is your number five? My number five is Dorn. Ooh. Just as a whole. I, I realized I was having trouble picking number five and I realized that this episode breaks up evenly into five locations. So I just oh, used all of the locations as my <laughs> as my five. Awesome. So it starts off in dorm with Jamie walking along, being escorted from his cell to this meeting room where they're all hanging out. And wow, there, there's an upwards view of from, from beneath Jamie looking up at him and uh, to above. And oh, this yeah. castle that he's in, some this place in Spain where they shot, it is just like so elegant and opulent. It's like a gold ceiling. Yeah. Not only that, but like highly decorated and intricate yeah. and yeah, just a what a building. Super, super impressive. I loved that they did that camera angle like that. Yeah, totally. So we could see so we could see it in detail. Yeah, I like that too a lot. Um, so Jamie walks into this room and we got Doran with Marcella and Tristane and a couple other people, Ilaria. And uh, Jamie sees Marcella and they sort of, you know, say hello to each other. And Jamie stops looking kind of surprised. <laughs> he, he, does, he thinks her dress is too skimpy, basically. Yeah. Which is yeah. so funny. What a lovely dress. The Dornish climate agrees with me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He says, you must be, cr- be cold with a double meaning of too much skin is showing. And she says, the Dornish climate agrees with me with a double meaning of, I like the Dornish style better, you know? (laughs) Yes. The Dornish ways fit my personality. (laughs) Just kind of funny, like the fatherly type of interaction that he had with her there. Yeah, definitely. So Doran's like, what the hell are you doing here, basically? Why are you trying to abduct our guests in secret? And he, he divulges that they received a threatening message, the princess's necklace in the jaws of a viper. And Jamie looks over at Ilaria and Marcella's like, oh my God, that necklace was stolen from my room. So she, so she knows exactly what's going on, yeah. um, which freaks out Doran, Doran because he knows that if that necklace was taken from Marcella's room, it has to be somebody close. Somebody who's in the palace, somebody with access to the, you know, like top, top security clearance, basically. Someone who hates the Lannisters. Yeah. So all signs point to Ilaria <laughs> and he looks right over at her and there's like a knowing gaze between both of them where he looks fucking pissed and she's like, eh, yeah, it was me, bitch. And uh, <laughs> he just looks so, so mad. It's hilarious. So Doran continues on about how it's stupid to, to, to lead his people into war for no reason, basically. Oberyn gave his own life. You know, he knew what he was risking. It, it doesn't make sense to bring these two countries to war over this whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, good plan. That makes a whole lot of sense. And Ilaria has to just stir the pot just continuously she's like no you just you just want to break bread with the lannisters and he's like yeah that's 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 exactly exactly what i'm doing we're doing right now (laughs) let us drink to tom and and she dumps her cup out all over the floor oh my god that the tood that she gives jamie she's like what are you gonna do about it yeah i mean i think if i was doran at that moment i probably would have had her arrested on the spot um under suspicion for making threats and in uh (laughs) to a foreign nation (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, she freaking, I guess, you know what, though, he does kind of, um, 
when Alaria goes to leave and she says, no wonder you, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit. No wonder you can't stand. You have no spine. He does grab her by the arm. Yeah. And he says, you are a mother to my, you know, four of my nieces, girls I love very much for their sake. I hope you live a long life. Talk to me that way again. And you won't. Right. This is, it's, it's treason though, basically what, what she's doing. She's <laughs> setting up what amounts to an international conflict outside of the scope of her position outside yeah, of the definitely. authority of of her tasks so it's just really fucked up she you know dorian should not be even letting this much slide at all yeah and you know i, I love the way duran handles the situation um he he's a very balanced individual yeah compared to like, his brother and it seems like that's rubbed off on tristane as well who decides yeah. to let bron live which i liked a lot yeah, so, um, you know, he basically is like, I've seen the war, I've seen the orphans starving, I've seen the bodies pile up, um, I'm not going to lead my people down that path. And Into that you know, hell. Yeah, exactly. And so he, he understands why he has enough reason in his mind to understand why Jamie smuggled himself into Dorne because of the threatening message so he is kind of like okay i would you know there's a reasonable explanation for that instead of sending a raven or displaying it um that they were coming down there and he also asks um you know praises king tommen and asks jamie is this my king's command yeah you know and I like that he agrees to let her go back, but he's also realizes that Tristane and Marcella need to be wed to keep Dorne in the fold. Yeah, I, really slick on his part. I like the way that he uh, and that a, he and a young this. man like Tristane should spend some time in the capital. You know, like this. Totally. I know from the book perspective, this is actually fairly common for high high lords to go like live somewhere else and like for yeah, example like ned, ned yeah ned and uh robert at the eerie mm -hmm. so i think you know i don't know if that's a common practice in dorn but it it flows well with what we already come to know about this world and Definitely. um I also like that he wants Tristane to take the place of Oberyn on the small council. Yep, another like, really slick gesture. This is important, and it's good training for his son, too, to be a part of the small council as far as growth and development into a prince and one day probably ruling Dorne. Yeah, I mean, imagine if uh, if Marcella hadn't been killed here and she and, and Tristane had gone back to the capital... And then Cersei blew up the Sept and Tom and killed himself. She and Tristane, Marcella and Tristane, would have ended up as king and queen. Yeah. And that would absolutely. have been a pretty solid combo, probably. Oh my God. Yeah, for sure. I kind of wish that would have played out. Yeah, because Tristane <laughs> seems like it. a pretty good guy. I like, I like his character. I mean, he's definitely young. We know that him and Marcella are very young. Mm -hmm. And he's. Like you said, he's uh, shows Braun mercy, I think, because he sat there and listened. 
Yep, he has uh, signs of being a just leader. Very much so, and he is. She's chivalrous too. He just, he tries to fight Bronn for the honor of his of his lady, you know, which yeah. is good. And he also understands that Bronn was just taking orders from Jamie, and yeah. he he just sat there and listened to why Jamie and Bronn smuggled themselves into Dorne. Mm-hmm. Because they were concerned about Marcella, right, who they, is the woman that he loves. And they didn't know who the message came from, so it would be dangerous to address it with the leader um, who had, who has Marcella in his captivity, basically. Uh, it made more sense to him to try to sneak in and rescue her covertly. Yeah. And then, you know, explain why they took her back mm-hmm. at a different time. Speaking of Jamie, I thought that it was really nice. Um, a good, I like the sentiment where he claimed that Bron was just working on his behalf at his behest, essentially, and said, "If anybody didn't deserves to be punished, it's me." Putting his his himself on the line for Bron, which I thought was yeah. really nice. Yeah. Instead of throwing him under the bus or something like that. Yeah, and I I love how Tristane, I love his um, response to Dorian saying like, "You you need to decide because you need to practice these you know making these types of decisions." Yeah, really cool. And, you know, Tristane says, I've learned the value of mercy from my father. I will set your man free. You're a good man, Jamie said, on one (laughs) One condition. condition, (laughs) And I thought Uh thought it was very clever of Tristane to to do this. It shows that he has the strategic thought process that his dad has. I'm going to set this guy free because of the situation. It was just a punch in the face or an elbow to the face. It wasn't like he cut me or tried to kill me. He just knocked me out to get me out of the way. And he has that sort of mentality of the the punishment fitting the crime. Yes. Where somebody punches somebody in the face, you don't execute them. You punch them back in the face and call it even (laughs) type thing. Or if you say it like my son Justin, I'm going to punch him in the back of the face. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where he got that from. (laughs) That's great. Oh, yeah. So Jamie gives his word that Tristane will take his place on the small council, take Oberyn's place, which I thought was nice, too. And that sort of sets Ilaria off as well. The word of a kingslayer. And that's when she gets up and freaks out and and leaves. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that line you mentioned about him not being able to stand, have you noticed that he's sort of been in a wheelchair thus far? He has gout, right? Right. Yeah. In the books there, it's more, um, it's more clear. He has gout and his legs and especially his knees and his joints and his legs are really swollen and oh, fucked wow, okay. up basically. And there he's just in constant pain. Um, yeah, he's a great, really great character in the books. Very deliberate, deep thinker. He's he's. I like him in this in the series too. We don't get a lot of him. I wish we yeah, got more. It's really of him. sad we don't get more. He he he's kind like of critical him. in the in the books. It's it's really cool what he does in the books. Like he has this cool quote to the Sand Snakes where he says, "I am not blind nor deaf. I know you all believe me weak, frightened, feeble. Your father knew me better." Oberyn was ever the viper, deadly, dangerous, unpredictable. No man dared tread on him. I was the grass, pleasant, complacent, sweet-smelling, swaying with every breeze. Who fears to walk upon the grass? But it is the grass that hides the viper from his enemies and shelters him until he strikes. Oh my god. So yeah, I just love the whole Oberyn is the viper and Doran is the grass type thing. It's really cool. 
he would be another like good ruler of the seven kingdoms yeah he'd be another good candidate you know how Varys was talking about danny being like the only candidate i would disagree and say prince duran Mm -hmm. seems to be another good candidate when you get into talking about like the game of thrones and what that means and all these these factions competing over the iron throne and playing long games for power grabs and stuff like that that's you know that's the side, sort of stuff that duran thinks about yeah i like him he's, he's cool. great so what else you got so when duran threatens laria and tells her basically i hope you live a long life you know for their for the kids sake but talk to me like that again and you won't I thought this was kind of like his his Ned Stark warning Cersei moment where instead of taking oh. action action that he needs to take to handle the the problem he he warns the the instigator basically warns the the criminal element in this case and gives them time to prepare and set up diversions and their own schemes and he ends yeah. up being killed by her. Yeah. So it's it's the start of his demise. Yeah, totally. This is, yeah, he should have had her arrested basically instead of give, letting her walk away free and to make, to scheme and machinate. Totally. So cuts to Braun and the sand snakes. Oh my God. <laughs> this is a really br brutal scene. Oh, it's just, they don't seem very tough here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's slapping her hands and she's like, does that hurt? Does that hurt? No, that would never hurt the sand snakes. Just a slap on the hands. I have not gotten to this to them in the books. So I thought it was a funny scene when I first watched it because I had no preconceived notions of right. what the, the what sand snakes even were. Yeah. yeah. So I actually and I, I personally enjoy this scene. I think it's kind of funny. When she like just bitch slaps her across the face. <laughs> yeah, that part was really funny. You know, you so I don't, I don't hate it because I don't have a preconceived notion of how badass the sand snakes are. Right, and if the books didn't exist, the scene would be fine. Exactly. So I'm sure, knowing what I know now about the sand snakes, I agree that this is probably not what they would be doing in their spare time, even locked in a cell. Um. But I found it kind of comical. Sure. Yeah, I feel you. And it's, yeah, it's, it's good to have um, somebody who's, you know, more um, happy about the scene. So it's just, we're not just a to totally downing it on it. You know what I mean? Talking yeah. down about it. <laughs> so they're doing their thing over there, slapping each other. And, and Ario comes to let Braun out, which is pretty funny. And he's like, oh, am I going to be happy at the end of this walk? And Ario, ever <laughs> menacing, you'll find out very soon. Like, oh, shit. Is he going to live? Is he going to be executed? <laughs> we know, right. obviously, but Bron doesn't. And uh, <laughs> Tyene gets in one more, one more little thing with Bron. Say it one more time, handsome. Who am I? And he sort of walks past and looks away and <laughs> the most beautiful woman in the world. And what do you think was going through his mind at this moment? Was he like cowed by her having been defeated? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like saying what he has to say, like just like doing I whatever think a he's little told. Bit of both. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's the beta in this situation now. Just like, yes, master. 
You're the most beautiful woman. And I love Nim. And she goes, and that's the truth. And Nim goes, slut. slut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Tyene, when she, uh, when she says that that's the truth and she has like her face up against the bars, she looks like in the grips of mania kind of, it's just kind of a, yeah. I like, I kind of like her performance there. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. So Ario brings Bron into the room where they're all meeting and, and uh, Jamie's like, oh, I believe you've already met Prince Tristane. And I thought it was nice that Braun apologized for, for hitting him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like, sorry, dude. Sorry, yeah, bro. Sorry about the other day. <laughs> just kind of funny. Little, he's, he's kind of classy for a sellsword. Like, you know, yes, just well, he's Sir orders, Braun bro. of the Blackwater now. Yeah, yeah definitely. And uh, he's like, oh, that, that pie looks good. After being told that Pr- Prince Tristane is a man of mercy and has granted him his freedom. And so Jamie tells him, you know, but, you know, there's one condition. And he looks over at Ario, prompting Bron to look at Ario as well. And he just whack nails him. Oh, man, that that looks super like a, hard. Yeah. Rung his bell. Knocks him to the floor. And Duran in, <laughs> in comedic uh, fashion says, maybe some perhaps some soup instead. <laughs> you know, like you're not going to want to chewing. Want to be chewing after that blow to the face. And Bron looks all disheveled there for a second. I know. Which is kind of a good look for him. (laughs) Dizzy. So then Duran is meeting with Ilaria, who he's telling like, listen, your fucking rebellion's over. Swear allegiance to me or I'll have you killed right now, basically. And she's crying and everything. And I think she's so fucking pissed in this moment. Oh, yeah, too. And I was also thinking that, you remember when Obara was giving her little monologue when we first got introduced to her, talking about how Oberyn showed up at her mother's house and gave her the choice, like, through a spear at her feet. It was like, you can make your decision. What your What's your weapon? Tears? Like, your mom is, is crying here to try to manipulate me into letting you stay with her? Or a spear, you know? And she picks the spear, but I think Ilaria is, has learned that lesson too, and she's picking her, her weapons for the proper moments. So she's using tears yeah. here as a, a sort of cover to trick Duran into thinking that she's genuine and sorry, when in fact it's just a temporary fixed so that she can plot in the background and plan her next moves. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I agree. I also think she's like furious that she even has to be in that situation too. Oh, absolutely. She's like shaking, totally. like she's she's crying, but she's like biting her lip, and she has like a almost like a snarl on her face. Mm-hmm. 
And she goes to kiss his ring. <laughs> yeah. Nim and Obara are like, ugh, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. So funny. So then it, and uh, Duran obviously lets her live. And I'm just like, oh, God, you should have had her killed. Duped. I love how he pulls his hand away from her. He's yep. Like, that out, was funny, get too. Out of here. So, then so we, we do know that he does have a, um, a tough side. You know what I mean? He's not the yeah, spineless totally. guy that Ilaria thinks he is. Yeah, I there's mean, much he, more to Duran If he has to do that. something, he's going to do it. Absolutely. But he, I think he may have would have if it wasn't Ilaria because it was his brother's paramour. So it's right. like Mother he's giving their family. Yeah. So, I mean, he's giving her... The benefit of the doubt, which in his mind she's due because of her position, mm-hmm. but it's his undoing. Totally. I also like his line, I believe in second chances. I don't believe in third chances. You know? Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Big I think time. you're really going to like him in the books. Cool. Yeah, I look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on him for sure. Yeah. So then we cut to Jamie, who's writing with his left hand terribly. <laughs> Ilaria calls him out on it saying he writes like a seven year old (laughs) which is pretty funny and so she is asking about how the queen will probably be thrilled to know that Jamie's bringing her daughter home and she says you love her very much don't you Jamie says of course she's my niece but Ilaria was not talking about Marcella she's talking about Cersei and this catches Jamie kind of off guard he looks up at her and she's like, what? This is Dorn. You know, people don't care about that type of you shit. You think down I disapprove? Here. Yeah. If it was a hundred years ago in King's Landing, nobody would have cared if you'd been named Targaryen. Uh, an interesting line. It's always changing who we're supposed to love and who we're not. The only thing that stays the same is that we want who we want. And you can't really control it. So interesting perspective. I wonder if this may foreshadow a little bit that. Danny and John stay together. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Is, that, is it wrong to say? <laughs> I, I, you know, because she says no one would blink an eye if you had been named Targaryen. Well, they're both Targaryen. It's always changing. It's changed a lot since back then, but they're the new Targaryens, right. you know, and we've seen that incest I mean, is. I don't even know in- if aunt and nephew would even be disapproved of in regular conditions in Westeros. I mean, Sansa yeah. was, you know, it was it was floated that Sansa would marry King would uh, marry little sweet Robin, right? And their cousins. That's true. So what's the that you is know, what's true. the main diff- major difference between a cousin and an aunt? Yeah, not much. Yeah, not too much. A little bit of extra um, external blood and stuff, but a little yeah. bit of outer genetics. Yeah, um, um, but not much. Yeah, so it may, they may, I don't know how they'll feel about it. I think that's what I'm most excited to see is their reaction to it. Because we we get this a lot that we want who we want. Malisandra says it. Jamie says it to Cersei. Why have the gods made me love such a hateful woman? Yeah. We get it here from Alaria. We get it from Prince Oberyn. So... I think there's something to be said because I think they're going to fall in love. I mean, they're, I think they already have. Yeah. They're attracted to each other. They're doing each other. They're both, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't think finding that out. I mean, it might gross them out at first, but it's not going to change how they feel about each other right away. 
they're meant to be together. Everything that their whole lives have led to the to the to them being together, they've done the same type of thing, won the hearts of their people, set people free, developed themselves into just leaders. They're the perfect pair for the show. Yeah, so I I like that we kind of get that here cuz this is one of the most exciting things that I'm looking forward to in season 8 is how they process finding out that they're related. I watched some of that Boston University students thing where they wrote their own version of season eight. Oh, you did? Yeah, it was really cool. Really well done. And you can tell it was written by hardcore fans. Definitely. But oh, nice. They, they, they covered this a little bit. And the way that they saw it going down is that John decides to keep his oath to Danny and and he had already knelt to her essentially. So he tells her, you know, I know that my claim is technically stronger, but I've already sworn my sword to you and that's not going to change. And then Danny tells him, don't turn on me basically because there's, there's no turning back, you know? Um, but oh, then, interesting. then she's thinking in her head that how can, what, 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 what right does she have to usurp John in the line, Aegon in the line of succession. So she's contemplating kneeling to him, basically. <laughs> it's like pretty interesting, you know? I think if it comes down to it, John will not willingly sit on the Iron Throne if it's him or Danny. I think yeah, that's I the agree. last thing that he wants. Totally. I think he'll, he'll do it if it comes to that. But if he has a choice... To have Danny sit there or him sit there, I think he would let Danny sit there. For sure. I had to stop watching after like an hour and a half of the first three episodes. Um, I mean, I didn't have to, but I was just getting a little nervous before anything major happened in case they started getting things right. You know, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can <laughs> keep watching. But I am yeah. really looking forward to going back and watching it after season eight does come out to see how much they got right. I think that's when I'm going to watch it. I've been holding off because I, I want to just keep it as fresh as it can be. Right. Yeah, totally. I'm definitely going to watch it, though, after yeah, it airs. I highly recommend it. It was really, really well written. Really well written cool. stuff that I saw. So Ilaria is continuing to talk to Jamie and she says, I know your daughter had no part in the terrible thing that happened to the man I loved. Um, so she, she also knows that she's her, his daughter, which is pretty funny, Yeah. but she, she says, perhaps even you were innocent of that. And she's using total psych warfare here on Jamie, just totally getting in his head and making him think that she relates to get his guard down basically. And it's sort so of, she's ominous. not a suspect. Right. And yeah, and it's sort of ominous the way that she says, like, I know you, your daughter had no part in it perhaps you were innocent of that and then she walks out but i feel like there's a third sentence that is unsaid here which is but i'm still gonna have to kill her to make cersei pay you know yeah definitely that feeling for sure and that makes this whole thing even more fucked up is that she knows that marcella is innocent and everything but she still decides to kill her and like john or like i feel like it's a sentiment that's been explored in this before but children don't deserve to be punished for the sins of their fathers or their parents yeah and 
it's it's super fucked up to punish the to kill the innocent Marcella over this whole thing. It's, I think it's horrible. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's no different than burning Shireen, really. And I know we've talked about it. It it goes completely against what Oberyn was about. Yeah, so they're absolutely. avenging their lover and legacy. father. Yeah, by doing something that he is completely opposed to. I just don't see why they would think that that is okay. Right. That he would have wanted that. It's like burning churches in the name of Jesus or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Something like that. So she then leaves and leaves Jamie looking there, sitting sort of looking kind of perplexed and maybe a bit uneasy after this ominous comment by by Ilaria, who he yeah. knows hates their, his family, or at least Cersei. It's definitely confusing. Yeah. So that's uh, that wraps up my number five, is all that Dorn stuff. Dorn. Okay, cool. What's your number four? My number four is oysters, clams, and cockles. <laughs> Perfect. Mine is Bravos. Awesome. Cool. So... My number four is specific to when Arya sees Marin Trant again. Yes, amazing. So she's walking through the the alleys. And she says your you know, favorite line four, five, six times here. Oh, it's just clouds <laughs> and cockles. <laughs> six times. And the creepy guy, he's like, how much for your little clam? I'm oh, like, God. you're gross. You're gross. And Arya's like... Foreshadowing the whole Marin Trant thing, huh? Oh, yeah. I didn't even all think that of that. All that pervy, like, pedophilia stuff that he's all into. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, it's big really time. creepy. But you have a fresh one for me tomorrow? The yeah. lady's like... Ugh. Talking about, talking mm-hmm. about an episode with little girls getting abused in, like, all kinds of horrible ways. I know. Jesus that's Christ. what I'm saying is... When I first watched this episode, like, granted, the end of it's amazing, but yeah, I was like, I don't, this is really getting crazy. I wonder how much, how many people would have left the show if this episode did not end with the the, the dragon scene, <laughs> like if it ended um, with Shireen. I knew that I had, to, I was invested enough to keep watching, mm. but it, it did cross my mind that if there was another like really bad thing like this i you know this bad i would have probably maybe stopped damn yeah i'm so glad i didn't though <laughs> yeah totally me too <laughs> as much as i hated that i do not when i rewatch it on my own spare time i do not watch that scene yeah i don't blame i you. forward it at lightning speed i was having physical reactions to it like like almost yeah. like like Ugh, like it my made whole me body was like clenching and yeah. Justin was napping too and it took like everything inside me not to like go in and like wake him up and give him a big hug <laughs> <laughs> yeah so for sure. um the thin man starts waving Arya to come over and it's like some oysters girl I'm talking to you what the fuck yeah. why are you answering me <laughs> so funny how she just blows him off entirely when because she, sees she the cannot card. believe her eyes yeah she's like is that really who I think it is and you can see it in her face she's like processing this whole situation yeah there's one shot in particular where it shows the boat and Kingsguard, Marin Trant stepping off the boat, then it cuts back to Arya and it like, like sort of fast zooms in on her face. And that tells you that this is an important moment. And she's like, Marin fucking Trant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so 
the bank, it cuts over to the banker and it's Lord Tyrell on behalf of the Iron Bank. May I be the first to welcome you to the free city of Bravos. I hope your journey was trouble free. And Mace is like, there was a little bit of choppy weather, you know, out on the water, but nothing too bad. Good to see the old chap is still guarding the harbor. So we discover that Mace has been to Bravos before. Oh, yeah. Because he's yeah, seen yeah. the Titan. The, the Titan. I was wondering, um, so remember how the how Jockin had sent Arya down here and said a man does not know what a girl may see. Basically, I'm wondering if the whole time Jockin knew that Marin Trant would be showing up here and sent her down so? for this reason. Yeah, I I kind of do because later on when she returns to the House of Black and White, which we'll get to, but uh, you know he he asks her basically what happened and she's like. Now, the thin man wasn't hungry today. Maybe that's why they call him the thin man. But like he knew that that was yeah, a lie. She, yeah, I feel like he knew it. She was a lie. Knew it was a lie. She walks away, and he's sort of watching her as she walks away, like peering suspiciously. And I feel like the reason he sent her down there was for this, basically. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. I, yeah, there, there's some weird shit going on here for sure. I thought maybe. He had the wave spying on her. Who who knows? They could, they could put on any face they want. You know what I mean? So he could yeah. be the thin man for all we know. Yeah. That's, I, that's what I was thinking. There has to be a bit of magic with the House of Black and White. You know something, what I mean? Yeah, like visions or something like that. Yeah, because he, he sends her down there. She comes back with info about the thin man. And then nothing about Marin Trant yet, right? Obviously. So he tells her to, keep, to go back and stay down there and stake him out, basically which gives her more opportunities to run into Marin Trant. I don't know. I feel like that he probably knew. I mean, it's not far-fetched. That could totally happen. It, that could totally be it. I I mean, if he has a glass candle, if, if there's a glass candle burning in the, in, the, in the house of black and white, then anything's possible, basically. Yeah. You might not know about that, huh? I, the glass candles are in the Citadel, right? At least one. At least one, yeah. I don't know much about the glass candles, but I know that they have significance as far as, like, magic. Yeah, really fucking cool. Just wait. Just wait. Cool. Um, so, the banker immediately starts asking Mace if um, the harvest is going well in the Reach. And... Mace goes, Venture say this might be the best year for red grapes in half a century. If we come to a satisfactory arrangement, I'll be sure to send you the arbor's finest your way. And the banker's like, I don't drink, dude. And Mace's Mace like, Tyrell's like, ugh. <laughs> that was oops. so funny, this reaction. Ooh. Like, he kind of like recoils a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So this, this little short part was my number four because I love oysters, clams, and cockles and <laughs> i loved how uh macy williams pr like portrayed that feeling of seeing sir Marin again i thought it yes, was very important so to good her story arc and showing that while she's trying to be no one clearly, clearly. aria stark is alive and well in her yeah, soul absolutely. and um changes her traje trajectory which inevitably sends her back to westeros you know yeah. i think if she would have truly became nobody i maybe she wouldn't have left bravos maybe 
Yeah, that's well. Yeah, she'd be doing whatever she was told to do, basically. Uh, yeah, she'd have become part of the faceless Borg. Maybe eventually go back to Westeros because Jack and Hagar was in Westeros at some point. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is the turning point to get her back to Westeros. Yeah, in the books, Jock and May end up at the Citadel. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. On a secret mission. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Totally. Okay, so I'll let you take it from here because I know your number four is Bravos, oh, and right. there's a lot more Bravos to talk about. Yeah, so they they're walking along after the whole wine thing, and Mace is talking about how some consider usury to be distasteful, dishonorable, pure nonsense. Of course, you know what usury is. No, it's like when somebody lends money and they charge interest on it instead of oh, just paying okay. the money back. You got to pay ad- additional fees. Got it. And yep. for instance, the Bible is like against usury. Um, no. Like, uh, so it's just kind of funny. Pure nonsense. He, he's all for the, the banker's trickery, which is, <laughs> which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. And then um, Mace says, did you know that at one point, Magar the third tried to outlaw usury in the seven kingdoms, wanted to arrest anyone caught charging interest and cut off both their hands. And uh, the banker had said, I'm glad to see, I'm glad we see eye to eye in this matter. But it made me think of yet another biblical thing. You know what the one time where Jesus got like really mad was and got physically violent? Yeah. When he whipped the money changers from and forced them out of the temple, people doing this type of stuff, charging usury and you know, messing around with money. So it's it's kind of like a serious issue <laughs> for Jesus. <laughs> you know, turn the other cheek unless you're money changer, in which case I'll whip you. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I love how you can see the Titan of Bravos in the background as they're walking yes, along. Yes, I made that note too. Yeah, really it, cool. It's really Shooting cool. up through the it's mist. Just how big it is. Monstrous. And Marin and Arya are kind of like catching glances of each other occasionally or at least Marin seems to notice her a couple I times. I think he's like trying to figure out if he recognizes yeah, her. Yeah, Because like, he like looks at her and then he like stares off and has like a he's pondering like and then he kind of shakes it off. Right, he's like is that Arya Stark? And then he's like no it can't be. She looks way too comfortable in this environment. Like she's like she's been here her whole life. <laughs> and it's also been quite some time since Marin has seen her and she's grown up a lot too. You know? Yeah. So she was kind of a, a a brief gangly little girl that had wild hair and dressed like a boy. And Lana <laughs> has her hair up in braids and she's, you know, nicely dressed mm-hmm. and in a, in a, in a dress. So, <laughs> right, right. Very feminine. You know, it's like he recognizes her, but she's, she's the same, been but enough different. time. Yeah. And she's drastically different that he's like, and they're also on the other side of the world. Yeah. And she was really little and she's presumed dead. Yeah. So it's great as a first time watcher because it's like, oh, there's like tension. Is he going to notice it's her? Is she going to get busted? Yes. You know? <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Yes. When he looks at her the first time, I'm like, no. Yeah. And then when she gets put in front of them in the brothel, I thought when I first watched it, for sure he was going to recognize her. Totally. Totally. So then Mace is still talking with the the banker and 
he's like, we're not gamblers here at the Iron Bank. And he's like, oh, don't bullshit me. You guys are the world's best gamblers. And all those bets you won, you won built this massive, beautiful bank. And that's how it works, basically. Bankers, yeah. central bankers like this, loan out money, charge interest, and they're just, they just keep raking in more and more money. Um, it's pretty yeah. pretty crazy. I also thought it was interesting, too, just because of the gam- the betting conversation last time about the insurance thing. So this is a couple episodes in a row uh, yeah. that bring up gambling and betting um, in terms of like monetary practices, kind of. Right. So Arya is is kind of trailing them just to see what's going on, and she's waiting. And Mace <laughs> Mace has this weird singing episode where he's oh just like God. he's just like works over. Do you sing? <laughs> I'm like, who the fuck asks that? That's the weirdest thing yeah, ever. Totally. And then he's singing his whole song and everything, and everybody's just like, ooh, like this is awkward all of a sudden. Yeah, and he's like has his arm around the guy and he's like swaying from side to side. And the guy's and like, this is fuck. Everyone's just like, this is really awkward. Awkward. Yeah. Oh, he's such an oaf. He's a boob. Oh, totally. Boob. <laughs> boob. <laughs> Cuts to Marin walking through an alleyway and he's like, I thought that old shit would never stop singing. Uh, which is like what we were all thinking, basically. Right. And then, I like how uh, he calls him old shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's talking about how the Tyrells can all rot in hell, the treasonous cunts. <laughs> they were going to make that boy fucker Renly King, which is kind of funny because I, you know, so obviously we, I have, I'm using the script here for notes. And the next time I typed in boy uh, in part of the like the later notes in this, it tried to auto type for me, and it it tried to make me type <laughs> "boy fucker." I was like, "Why are you doing That's this?" That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's funny. I think it's kind of funny that he says they are going to make that boy fucker Renly King when he's like a little girl fucker. Right. Totally. Like, yeah. I mean, which is uh, worse <laughs> is, yeah, that's, I mean, it's like, who cares if he's gay? Like you're yeah, exactly. having sex with like 10 year old girls. Like that's a problem. That's actually a problem. Yeah. <laughs> even, even the guards that he was with think it's a problem for sure. Having a fetish of like taking little girls virginities and, and like beating them senseless. Beating them, yeah. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Any of those by themselves are bad enough, too. And then adding them all up for Marin Trant, it's just like, fuck, dude, this guy He's is... such a douche. Yeah, he 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 gets his comeuppance, though. Oh, yes, he does. That. I love it. Totally. Yeah, so he's like, this is the place, lads, the sleekest little minx in Bravos. Yeah, gross. It's like, oh, gross. So gross. So and then gross. it's just like, they go in there, the whole thing, you know, Arya sneaks in and everything, and they're parading all these women in front of him. And that Laura, Laura is back. She's the one that's like, let her in. I want some oh, oysters. That's, that's, all right. Cool. Yeah. I yeah, can never remember. That's Laura. Yeah. That's awesome. So this every, is the last time we see her. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so every time they bring a girl out for Marin, he's like too old, you know, a different girl, too old, different girl who is the young, like the most expensive one they got. Oh yeah. You know, I know just what you're looking for. Still too old. And the women are like, like everybody's kind of like uneasy in the room around him. Like, yeah, is it's awkward. And yeah, the woman's like, uh, you know, do you have what I want or not? And I'm like, God damn dude, you're such a fucking creeper. 
and the the head lady she's like of course of course and so she's probably like going to the kitchen and pulling this little girl who's probably been like doing dishes or laundry or taking care of the babies or yeah, something. Yeah, she doesn't look like she's prepared for this. Like she has any no, idea what's not about at to all. happen. Um, which is another fucked up element of this, that this, this girl is just totally blindsided by this. Yeah. She's like looking at her like, what am I supposed to do? And, ugh. And then the worst part is, is she hands him the little timer. Yeah. It's like, I'll tell you when we're done. Like, ugh. Like, Ew. Yeah, just fucked up. And you'll have a fresh one for me tomorrow. Yeah. Like, a fresh one. Ugh. Ugh. Ew. So gross. And the the two guards that he's with are just, like they like exchange glances. They're like, what the fuck? Yeah, they're both like, this is really happening, huh? This is awkward. <laughs> yeah, awkward. definitely. <laughs> yeah, awkward. So Arya gets kicked out by the head hoe. Who's like, I'll have you whipped. (laughs) Yeah. And she has to leave. And then she goes back to the house of black and white. And it's like what I was saying before. She meets up with Jock and and who's helping a guy take a drink. Yeah. A poison drink. And the thin man wasn't hungry. Perhaps that's why the man is thin, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And um, she's like, tomorrow. Jock agrees, tomorrow. A girl has work to do. Like, go clean up that body. (laughs) so she walks over to the now dead guy lying on the floor and as she's walking jockin is watching her intently peering at her like she like he knows that she's lying and what she has like a smirk on his face yeah i feel like this whole thing jockin knows the whole time not only just this but like just everything jockin knows that that she's aria that that's never going to change he doesn't seem too worried about whether or not she's ready for the training because she's not actually ever destined to be a faceless man. She's destined to acquire some of these skills and use them for Arya Stark's purposes. And I think that Jockin is doing his job to facilitate this and not really actually trying to get her to become a faceless man and become no one. I actually really agree with that because when she when she goes to leave the House of Black and White... She goes, I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home. And he smiles and nods at her like, yep. yeah, like, that's it. Like, exactly. You, you just completed your purpose for being here. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I feel like we don't really know who Jock and Hagar is, but, you know, they say the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? Maybe the many faced God works in mysterious ways, too. And maybe Jockin's way of serving the many faced God here is by equipping Arya with the skills she needs to serve the many-faced god as Arya Stark. Yeah. Taking good, out good people on her list and everything. And for all we know, Jockin witnessed things happening with, with Ned Stark, for instance, him being executed in King's Landing. And he realized that the way that the many-faced god can help in this situation is by giving Arya some of this training. Yeah, I like it. You know, I don't know, maybe like, you know, Jockin empathized with the Stark plight or something and decided to help them via using Arya as a conduit of the, of the, of the many faced God or something like yeah, that. I don't know. I like it. Good shit. <laughs> so, so Arya walks over to the dead guy to do her thing. And that's where we leave Bravos for the episode. Anything else you want to add about Bravos while we're uh, on the subject? No. Nope, I'm good. 
Cool. All right. So what's your number three? My number three was actually um, Jamie and Duran's conversation about Tristane going to the Capitol and, you know, obeying Prince Tommen and that whole that whole scene. All right. Yeah. So what's your number three? My number three is this whole Shireen storyline. Okay. So we'll start from the beginning. The first time we go to Stannis's camp. So we'll just cover it like, you know, Stannis's camp as a whole, basically. Okay. All the scenes yeah. There. That's actually where we start. Yep. Episode the starts. Episode. Man, somebody's walking past all of the tents and it cuts to Melisandre who's looking into the fire and she seems to have, you know, a premonition that something is happening because she walks out of the tent and starts looking around in the direction where the first flames light up like she senses the fire before it even happens. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. She's, Definitely. She's like looking into the future and the flames and seeing what's happening. Like 30 seconds ahead. Yeah. Well, maybe you should have looked like 20 minutes ahead and had some people on guard, Melisandre. Okay. How about that? God. <laughs> what the fuck? So all the, like everything, all these tents start lighting up and chaos ensues and a burning horse runs by oh, Melisandre. Yeah. And I hate that. Like, I mean, I the, the effect was really cool, but I, it like, I don't like it. Yeah. Well, I, I like it, not, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I do not like like innocent animals being injured or being, you know, in pain or things like that. So it was really brutal yeah. to watch. Although the the effect the effect was amazing. It they did a wonderful job, but it's it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> so um we learn that a band of 20 men may be less. So that's how we know it was Ramsey with his 20 men yep. that he yep. asked for. They uh, in and out before anyone spotted them, burnt the food stores to the ground. All our siege weapons were destroyed. And Stannis is just like, what the fuck? Like as if shit couldn't get any worse. Yeah. Uh, he asks about the horses, but hundreds, hundreds are dead. Davos says, and he's like, how the fuck did this happen? 20 men rode into our camp without a single guard sounding an alarm. And Davos points out like, listen, we're on their home turf. They know this, this area. They snuck in. We just didn't, you know, they, they, got, they crept past us basically. And Stannis is super hardcore here. Put last night, put last night's guards in chains. Either they fell asleep or they were conspiring with the enemy. Find out the truth and then hang them. <laughs> like so, either way, they're getting killed. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. That's crazy. That's Super so intense. intense. Yeah, definitely hardcore leader. So Davos is like, listen, like we're stuck. Unless there's a thaw, we can't keep pressing forward to Winterfell, and we don't have enough food to get us back to Castle Black. Stannis is like, we're not returning to Castle Black. Forgive me, Your Grace, but if we can't march forward and we won't march backwards. And then Stannis looks over at Melisandre and Selyse and Davos follows his gaze. And it's, I feel like right here, he knows that something is fishy, fishy as a brew because if they can't yep. march forward and they can't march backwards and the situation is hopeless, but Stannis seems to have some type of ace up his sleeve and he looks over at Melisandre and Selyse and the combination of the both of them it's got to be. They were sending, like, it's time. Yeah, it's got to be sending Stavos's spidey senses. Like, yeah, you know, he's uh, getting little tinges of un, 
uneasiness. Right, because last time Stannis was in a bind, he was there when he wanted to use Gendry's king blood, king's blood. Yeah. So it makes sense that the use of blood magic is something that Davos would be worried about Stannis attempting to do again. And in this case, um, the only only other source they have of king's blood that's around is the princess Shireen. So naturally she's, she's on the list, the short list of people in danger. Um, when there's a need for magic and Melisandre is around basically. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like this has probably crossed his mind and he's very worried about her already at this point. So, yeah, Stannis is like, have the dead horses butchered for meat and walks over to Melisandre and Davos is like, shit. So next Davos ends up in Stannis's tent and he's like, listen, I'm sending you back to Castle Black. Find some good, healthy horses and a few men to guard you and bring this scroll to the Lord Commander. Tell John I need food, supplies, fresh horse, fresh horses. And in return, when I take the throne... He'll have all the men he wants. He can guard all 19, te- all 19 castles if he wishes. Like, it's important that we need this stuff. And uh, I like how Davos is just trying to figure out any way he can to get out of this because just, he knows. Yeah, he something. wants to stay. Yeah, he's like, the, you know, I'm, I'm your hand and the king's hand should never abandon the king, especially in a time of war. And uh, he says, you know, you're not abandoning me. You're obeying a, obeying a command. And Davos is like, anybody could do this. You could send a fucking raven. You could send a a boy. Like, it doesn't have to be the hand of the king. And so, again, Stannis responds with some logic. Like, what's he, well, what's the boy going to do when Jon Snow refuses? It's got to be the hand. Otherwise, it's it's useless. It has to be somebody with authority who can speak for the king. Authority, exactly. And in the books... He sends him on some missions like this too, which is not quite like this, but you know, different kind of type of stuff. Davos in the books is the best, man. He's so, so, so good. I love Davos. Yeah. Oh He's man. He's so witty and funny and dry. Yeah. And, and the, the casting is perfect in this show for Davos yes, too. They really, really definitely. nailed it. Nailed definitely. it. <laughs> so, Davos is like, your grace, perhaps Queen Selyse and Princess Shireen could accompany me. And it, it, you can tell he knows something is going on. He's trying to get Shireen out of there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really fucked up that in the next line, Stannis refers to Shireen and, you know, as family. He's like, con- considering what he's about to do, you know, it's just so twisted. My family stays with me. At least let me take Shireen. A siege is no place for a little girl. My family stays with me. And I'm like, oh, fuck. That's fuck. Oh, it's just like referring to his family, you know, when you're about to burn her. It's just, it's so twisted. I don't know. It's just, it's disturbing to me. It's very disturbing. Extremely disturbing. Yeah. And so he's basically like, shut the fuck up, Davos. Get out of here. And But at least Davos kept trying for a little bit. You know, he was like really trying to get Shireen out of there. Yeah. So then he tried. It cuts to Davos sort of walking around outside to gather his supplies and people to leave. And it's showing the men, Stannis's men, they're like lined up for food and they're shivering and coughing. And you can hear the this the ambient sounds of the camp are just like 
you know, it just sounds bad. Like these people Horrible. are not in Everyone's good shape. Everyone's sick. Everyone's sick. Conditions are worsening. Everybody's starving. It's really, really bad. And that's bad when news. it goes into, that's when he goes to see Shireen and gives her the gift, which we all talked about. The pir- the parallels between Sir Byron Swan and Stannis cheating to accomplish a goal and getting burnt pretty quickly as a result. And um, then it cuts to Shireen playing with her, her stag figure and Stannis comes in. <laughs> this is so fucked up. Yeah. Again, this is my number two. Oh, it is? Yeah. All right. So you want to take over for a little bit? Uh, Sure. Cool. Uh, I just thought it was really important to have Shireen in my top five without it being the <laughs> the burn scene. Right. So I put her in a couple of times, but um, Shireen starts talking to her dad about what she's reading. It's a dance of dragons and Stannis. I, I wonder why he's in there. You know, is he saying goodbye or is he... You know, like still debating what is his purpose in this moment before yeah. we we know the decision. Like, what is his reason for going into the tent to begin with? I feel is like it, he needs to vent, which is what he ends up doing. Yeah, because um, it's out, very out of character for him to vent. He he. I think the 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 grand purpose is to it, it. It's his last line sums up the grand purpose of this visit, which is to get Shireen's forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so sad because she tells him the story, you know, it's a, it's a, the story of the fight between Rhaenyra Targaryen and her half-brother Aegon for control of the Seven Kingdoms. Both of them thought they belonged on the Iron Throne. Sounds when like people, Stannis and Renly. Yeah, totally. When people started for declaring for one of them or the other, their fight divided the kingdom in two. Brothers fought brothers, dragons, dragons fought, fought dragons. dragons. By the time it was over, thousands were dead, and it was a disaster for the Targaryens as well. They never truly recovered. Yep. And he goes, the dance of dragons, why is that a dance? He lacks a certain element of humanity, <laughs> like nuance, yeah. metaphor, abstract, creativity, whimsy. Reading between the lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And Shireen's like, I think it's poetic. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so cute. Mm-hmm. The line about how the Targaryens never truly recovered. Also, you could, if we're looking at Rhaenyra and Aegon as paralleling Stannis and Renly, this, the, the fighting between Stannis and Renly divided House Baratheon and House Baratheon never recovered from that either. Ooh, yeah. Good point. I like that connection. So he ponders this and maybe this is what he's thinking about. Like what, you know, the connection that we just made. If you had to choose between Rhaenyra and Aegon, who would you have chosen? And this shows Shireen's wisdom at a young age. She goes, I would have chosen neither. It was all, it was like the choosing of the sides that made it horrible. The choosing of the sides, the dividing of the ranks. It was dragon turning against dragon that led to the downfall or of the of the House Targaryen, or at least, you know, how they never fully recovered. And Stag is turning against Stag when he burns her here. And this is when he starts to vent. He, yeah. What's really on his mind ends up coming out. 
And it's sad. He's like, sometimes a person has to choose. Sometimes the world forces his hand. If a man knows what he is and remains true to himself, the choice is not a choice at all. He must fulfill his destiny and become who he is meant to be, however much he may hate it. Ugh, mm -hmm. horrible. However much he may hate it. And she goes, it's all right, Father. I mean, she can totally feel... That he's super, like, super stressed struggling. out. Yeah, struggling. Yeah, struggling. don't even know what I'm talking about, he says. She goes, it doesn't matter. I want to help you. Is there any way I can help? Oh, and he's God. like, oh, fuck. He goes, yeah, there is. I'm just going to have to kill you. Good, and she goes, I want Good, to. I want to. I am the Princess Shireen of House Baratheon, and I'm your daughter. Echoing what he had said to her just a couple episodes ago. You know, you brutal. are the Princess Shireen of House Baratheon. Like he gave her that confidence. Yeah, which she's yeah, she's yeah. And not only that, but it's because she is the princess Shireen of House Baratheon that she's even able to help him because she has that royal blood. So when she's like, you know, is there a way, way I can help you? And he says, Yeah, that's why. Because she's the princess Shireen of the House Baratheon. Mm. It's so and the look of pain up. on his face is unbearable. She jumps up to hug him. And he hugs yeah. her and his eyes close for a moment and they open up and he just looks, like you said, just pain. And I think it's worth mentioning at this point that every time we've seen Stannis in this episode, he's just been looking devastated, blank He face, gets more and more disheveled as this episode goes on, for sure. Absolutely. And he's not great at expressing his feelings, but I really think that in fairness this is probably the most difficult thing that Stannis has ever dealt with in his entire life. Completely. And it's destroyed him. And uh, you can tell this whole episode, he's just been like a zombie, basically. And he's unraveling. He's not good at expressing his feelings, but he says it in that little monologue that, you know, he, the world has forced his hand he has to choose and he has to remain true to what he believes to be his destiny, that he's Azor Ahai reborn. And much like Azor Ahai had to sacrifice his wife Nissa Nissa to forge Lightbringer, he thinks he has to sacrifice Shireen to, you know, forge his army to, into a, a strength to take over Winterfell, basically. No matter how much he hates it, he hates that he has to do it because he loves Shireen more than anything, basically. But he's thinking along the Machiavellian collectivist lines of making a sacrifice of one person to save a much larger group of people. And he's rationalized it through more moral relativism. And it's just really sad because he, he's totally brainwashed by Melisandre's propaganda. Totally. We know he's not Azor Ahai. We know he's not destined to... Forge Lightbringer in reality. We, we know he dies coming up soon. And it's just, it's just a sad, deluded man who's been tricked into destroying the one thing he loves most in the planet, which is like the ultimate tragedy. Absolutely. So as horrible, horrible as Stannis is for doing it, he's also a victim of this as well, which is important to, to say, I think. Yeah. He he feels like he has no choice. Yeah. Trapped. Definitely. And that's when they're hugging and he says to her, forgive me. 
Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, so it cuts next to Shireen as she's being walked towards the pyre by a bunch of guards. Yeah. She's holding the stag. Ugh. And then Melisandre steps in front and she knows instantly that there's a problem. Yeah. And um, talk about a way to kill morale. Um, remember last episode when D- Tyrion told Danny, you don't inspire devotion by killing those who are devoted to you. We get to see another example here of how that works. Shireen is totally devoted to Stannis. No matter what, if there's something I can do to help you, I'll help you. You're my father. Right. And there should be no better, you know, like a a child should always trust their parents. Yeah, exactly. They're the one people, you know, in this world that every child should should be able to talk to their parents and trust their parents that they would never do anything to harm them. They shouldn't have to question like you said this morale killer i mean it's not it doesn't send a good message to his army yeah and you can see their reactions as shireen is burning they like as melisandre like first of all as soon as they grab shireen which happens next she's like where's my father i want to see my father and melisandre is so creepy it'll all be over soon princess like god damn that's so fucked i know up. holy shit what the fuck melisandre <laughs> she's Jesus. crazy she's yeah. crazy and it's also super sad that you know even after the conversation that shireen just had with stannis where he's basically telling her like yeah there's something you can do we can sacrifice you <laughs> uh she doesn't she obviously he didn't really explain it so she doesn't get it she's like where my father where's my father i want to see my father like like she's thinking like you were saying that that's the one person that she can really trust there's no way that he'd be okay with this yes you can't do this father where are you right like <sighs> yeah she's like no this is like this is not something that he would be okay with and as they grab her and start to drag her towards the pyre, Ugh. Stannis's soldiers are looking on. They start to like cluster around and they're sort of like, what the fuck is going on here? And just like, I mean, if your leader is burning little girls at the stake, what are you fighting for? What is the end game if it's going to look like that? I know. You need to be fighting right? for something good. You're fighting for a leader who's going to be burning little girls. Like, that's got to, you know, throw into question your whole allegiance and motivation for, yeah. Like, what are you fighting for? And so they're all looking on in horror as they start to tire to the pyre, tire to the pyre, tire to the pyre. And Stannis walks out grimacing, just like, Mm. and his hair is all fucked up and he looks a hot mess. Rugged. Um, and he's famous for in in the books grinding his teeth. He's just constantly grinding. Oh, his really? Teeth. Yeah, and I feel like he's really grinding hard right now at this moment. Like, you know, like little chunks of his teeth are probably falling off in his mouth. So he comes out grimacing, and you can see like the uh, like look on his face as he sort of watches on. And Shireen is screaming, "Let me see my father! Where are you, please?" You know, and Celise. I think it's starting to hit her. You know, she had seemed to, she seems like she's been in on it the whole time for at least for a while and sort of okay with it. 
but I think it's starting to hit her because she seems like she's trying to convince Stannis that it's that it's okay and necessary. I think she's trying to convince herself. Right. She's trying to convince Stannis in order to convince herself. Like if she can convince Stannis and Stannis thinks it's right, then maybe she can be convinced also. It's like she's projecting. Yeah, totally. So she's like, it's it's what the Lord wants. It's a good thing, a great thing. And this is when Melisandre starts chanting out, the year is now. We offer you up this girl, my Lord. May you cleanse her with your fire, etc. And Selyse is sort of like getting a little more agitated. If, if we don't act, then we'll all starve. Here, all of us. But if we make the sacrifice... And Mel cuts back to Melisandre. Accept this token of our faith. Lord of light, show us the way. Lead us from the darkness. And then Shireen starts screaming for her mother instead of her father. Um, which is <laughs> fucked God, up because... I can't even... Right, like, yeah. Shireen would never be asking Selyse for help. Like, she knows Selyse doesn't even like her pretty much, so she must be really desperate. Like, Stannis isn't responding, and she starts calling out to Selyse. Like, even Selyse has to know that that's fucked up, that is. Well, I think it triggers hearing her... Hearing your own child call out for you when they're panicked or afraid or sad, it's the hardest, one of the harder parts about being a parent. Sure. Must trigger all kinds of shit, I bet. It, sure. it, it completely like it's, it's hard to see your child in, in stress and it's, it's biologic. You know, right. there's something that goes on. And that's what um, just happened. It, it it boils over and it's too much. It, for yeah, Selyse. it just it's it hits a primal nerve in her brain that her her offspring, her child is in desperate need of saving. Right. So she pushes Stannis. Right. She's just away. like, I can't. And, <sighs> and like it also has to like she's had all these stillborn babies and everything. You I know, know, it's her only, ch it's, it's her, her yeah, only fucking child. That makes it more intense, right? <laughs> like, like the one child you have and you're letting this happen. And I think she's past her childbearing years, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Um, and Stannis is like, there's no other way she has King's blood. And that's when Selyse pushes off and starts running and the Stannis, like, you know, notions to motions to the guards to go to after her. her and, and melisandre lights the pyre lord of light protect us for the night is dark and full of terrors so it's oh, like you're God. a terror yeah, you're you burning a little terror. girl like what the right. fuck yeah oh, so God. fucked up and as she lights the pyre um that you see another reaction from the soldiers who are all just kind of like, oh They're my grimacing. god, this is so fucked up. Yeah, one guy in particular, they must have thought that his acting was really great um, in displaying the reaction that these soldiers would have. Like, this is so fucked up. So they they show this one guy a, a few times, which I thought was really good. And they're, yeah. they're all, as Shireen starts to burn and she's screaming, you know, mother, don't do this. Please, please help. <laughs> Father, mother. Celise runs up and gets dragged to the ground and starts freaking out and most of the soldiers as Shireen is burning and screaming just wailing blood curdlingly the soldiers are like bowing their heads and looking away they like can't they, even look. they can't even they can't watch even this watch. fucking insanity because it's fucking horrible 
and it's 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 so hard even just to watch this as a viewer and then after Celise's scream, you know, Celise's her screaming is just escalating and getting more and more shrill and wild. And Stannis is his eyes are wild and he's just like you can see his teeth just like just mashing each other and his he's just looking more and more crazed as he's trying not to lose his composure and trying to just go along with it for the for the greater good and to to fulfill the destiny that he thinks he has and it's killing him on the inside. And as Shireen lets out her last horrific scream, which is like an octave higher than it was. Yeah. Like, yeah. The acting, that actress, incredible acting, incredible. Yeah. Like that last scream. That last and Stannis scream. closes his eyes. I just can't like, yeah. I had like tears in my eyes. I was just like, I can't even do oh, this. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you so don't have intense. tears in your eyes of this scene, like you're a sociopath, basically. It's, it made me like nauseous. Yeah. Ugh, like I, it's that sense of um, I kept getting that sense of like dread, like my adrenaline was going. Yeah, totally. Ugh. Just God. waves of like my whole body tensing up, and. uh so as she gives that last scream and it falls into silence and Celise looks back up and is just like, no, you know, and, oh my God. and it's just so fucked up. Like if you even fucking crazy person, yeah. you're killing your child. If you thought that you were just going to stand there and not have it be painful, you're fucking crazy. Right. So having Celise lose her shit just shows you how fucked up this really is. Cause she's just been mean to Shireen this whole time. And yeah. it's just so fucked up. And the soldiers are like, this is, this is fucked. It, Stannis went way too far here. I'm pretty well, sure that the I, next day, like half the soldiers have gone AWOL, yeah, right? Because the next day the, the guy comes up and he's like, all these people have left. Probably joined More the More horses have died. And he's like, what else could go wrong? And they're like, oh, by the way, your wife is hanging from a tree over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, at least she had the, the good sense to do that. God damn it. You know. So sad. Yeah. So sad. So fucked up. Just extremely, extremely brutal to watch. Uh, Let's move on. Yep. So (laughs) on from here, what's your number two? My number two was Shireen and Stannis. What is your number two? So my number two is Castle Black. Ooh, Okay. So John and the wildlings reach the wall and it's just amazing as they're walking up and we're seeing one, one walking with them. Every time I'm just so blown away by the special effects that this giant is pulled off so seamlessly. He seems to be yeah. really standing next to all these men and it's just incredible. It is really cool. Really, really well done. So they all get to the wall and John looks nervous as fuck. And he's almost physically sick. <laughs> yeah, and trembling from the cold. And he's just hoping that Alistair's going to open the gate. And I think as he's like trembling from the cold, it's emphasizing that they'd be like sort of out in the cold, so to speak, if Alistair doesn't open the gate. Like they're screwed, basically. Yeah. So Alistair's atop the wall and he's hesitant. And it takes John walking out alone for him to know that John is still alive down there, basically, and still in command. 
And yep. so Alistair begrudgingly opens the gate. And then it cuts to all these wildlings walking through the courtyard at Castle Black. And they look so defeated and zombie-like. Just, yeah, just defeated and exhausted and beat. And just, they witnessed all their friends being slaughtered. Yeah. Just and horrible. saw what lies in the future as far as threats go. And, yeah. They know oh, how man. serious it is. And, and John is talking to Sam and he's just like, it was a failure. Sam's like, it, it wasn't, you know, you, you didn't fail him or her. Every one of them is alive because of you and no one else. And uh, he's like, yeah. And the Night's Watch kind of knows that too. They're all pissed. I saved all these wildlings. Yeah. And it looks around and all these people are like very warily watching the wildlings come by. And right about then one one emerges out from from the passageway where where mag the mighty died under the wall and stands up tall and starts walking everyone's like whoa everyone is just like oh my god like all the all the night's watch look kind of like nervous by that obviously and it's just shock and awe, basically, as one one passes by, and he's lumbering exhaustedly. He just looks so beat, too. Maybe he did swim the whole way. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and uh, John smiles as he sees Ollie, and Ollie just kind of glares and rushes off, leaving John hanging, his mean smile fading. Yeah, mean mugs and big time. And oh man, I'm gonna be so sad next season when one one dies fuck yeah fuck fuck me god damn you can't have nice things no. you just can't have nice things <laughs> one one not one one oh. no so it's just cuts back to all these guys glaring at john alistair comes up and says you have a good heart john snow it will get us all killed and john's like eh, hopefully not but it'll at least get john killed yeah he says you know you have a good heart and it will get us all killed and john gets stabbed in the heart that's the killing blow yes nice i like the way you put that together there that's cool thanks and so now our collective number one numero uno and for the first time in hundreds of years a dragon rider is born bad ass take it away lady rachel so we are in the fighting pits and Danny looks stunning. Yes. I think Lord Zach commented on her white dress and I completely agree. This dress is magnificent. Yeah. And the dragon dangling around her oh, neck. Oh my God. Necklace. I want that necklace. I want that Danny. And. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I've noticed she has more braids in her hair. Nice. And we know that you, what that symbol is throughout her growth and development that, you know, she kind of took that on what she learned from the Dothraki with the braids and victories. Uh, and winning battles and growing winning hair battles out. and growing her hair and braiding it. That's and awesome. throughout the series, we start Danny, she, the first scene, she has no braids in her hair at all. And then fast forward to the end of season seven, 
it's mostly braided. It's all like these knot braids down into a po- just a ponytail. So she just has a little bit of loose hair and the rest of it's all braided really tight. It's great so, to point out. I love stuff like that. Yeah. She shows it's, how like influenced she was by Khal Drogo and that whole experience. It really helped build her character. Completely. So it's a nice homage to her victories and her, the power that she's gained. So throughout the series, um, her braids get more elaborate and more of her hair gets braided. Definitely. Which, so I noted that her hair is slightly more braided. It's still kind of half up, half down, but you know, she's, she's the queen now she's ruling. She's has multiple cities under her command. So I think she felt that it was important to start braiding her hair. And (laughs) so she's sitting there kind of impatient and we see his star. Right. She's like, where have you been? Just making sure everything's in order. Sketchy. Anybody (laughs) a little sketchy. And I thought, you know, like I've kind of been, I don't want to say team his because I don't really like him as a character, but I've been kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt in the past couple of episodes saying that maybe he doesn't know the sons of the harpy. Right. And I feel like him being late and saying, making sure things are in order, With like, like the sneaky smile that he has on his face. That's a weird thing to say. Like you could just be sorry. I'm late. I got, you know, I'm sorry. I'm late and just leave it at that. He's almost like rubbing it in her face, like, <laughs> like, I'm just making sure that plans are all laid for you to die in a few minutes. Love you, babe. Yeah, it was really odd. So I thought it might have been a little bit foretelling that he may at first not have been a part of the Sons of the Harpy situation, but I think he clearly says without saying it outright that he has something to do with this massacre. Quite possibly. In particular. I mean, they do kill him, so we could be wrong, but maybe they're we just... We could be. Like, maybe it was because it was such a frenzy going on that the harpy that killed his star was... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, and it also could be like, really a, like a useful idiot type scenario where they're like, okay, well, we can use him to get close to Danny now because he's in with her, but all, he's just a dragon lover. And like when it comes down to it, once we're done with him, we don't want him... He's expendable. Yeah. Yeah. Filthy dragon lover. So we get the announcer who's a very charismatic character. Totally, totally. (laughs) Free citizens of Marine, by the blessing of the graces and her majesty the queen, welcome to the great games. (laughs) And um, my queen, our first contest, who will triumph? The strong or the quick? And here they bring back that whole uh, gladiatorial that Roman Mm -hmm. tradition thing. Nos morituri te salutamus. You know, we who are about to die salute you. Like they say yes. right in that movie Gladiator 2 and everything. I fight and yeah. die for your glory, O glorious queen. And the other guy repeats it. And did you notice that one guy's sword? Oh, the, like with the flat edge? Yeah, how cool is yeah, that? Yeah, it was like, badass. It was yeah. like a cleaver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Typically swords will taper from the, you know, from the grip to the tip, the point. And there's now two swords in this series, which kind of break that rule ice, which is pretty much parallel edges all the way down to the blade until right at the end, it tapers. Mm -hmm. And then this one where the edges are parallel all the way and it's just flat right on the tip. I thought it was really cool. I loved it. Yeah. Super cool. 
it was big too because he's a big guy <laughs> that's what she said um oh my god <laughs> yeah he was a big guy <laughs> <laughs> um so they're like staring at her and she's like staring back at them and right. she's just sitting there his daughter's such a dick he didn't even prepare her for this tradition like yeah and he's like they're waiting for you and she like, looks over at him about? like what are you talking about and he's like clap your hands oh. and she's like now it's on her shoulders yeah. to like one of these she when she claps her hands someone's gonna die like the blood is on her hands yeah it's the last thing that she wants yeah so she slowly raises her hands and just lightly clap once yeah. claps once grimaces right before clapping like you can see it on her face all those emotions just yeah brilliant performance by amelia clark here and then just the uproar of the crowd and Oh, I, I didn't, I wanted to mention too, that when we pan into the great games, like we get a mm -hmm. view of the arena outside and it like kind of aerial shots kind of over the harpy and then into the bowl. And it's huge. Yeah. There are so many people there. Very remindful of the Roman Coliseum. I mean, when I first saw this, it, uh, like, I've never seen anything like it on a TV show, this scene. I mean, yeah, there's totally. been some motion picture, you know, movies out there that have great scenes like this. But this, I mean, the budget for this for scene must have been unbelievable <laughs> with yeah, all of the totally. graphics and the dragon and just all all the <laughs> the extras that they needed and harpies. And it was it really Amazing. blew my mind. Amazing. I mean, enough so that it, like, like we said earlier, it was kind of enough to forget what happened just <laughs> the scene before. Yeah, exactly. It's just so Which breathtaking. Is like that crazy. It, it's like a mental refresher, just like wipes it clean. Yeah. So they start, these guys start fighting and Dario, <laughs> <laughs> he like pops his head like between the two. He's like, Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> I'm going to do that one. The smaller one. No question. That's who you should put your money on. Yep, and Tyrion's like, the smaller one it is. I like it. I can get behind this logic. <laughs> <laughs> and D D Danny's like, I'm not putting my money anywhere. Like this is the worst thing to be betting on and his dar is like kings and queens never bet on the games perhaps you should go find someone who does like get the fuck out of here yeah stop You're talking like, to my girl old truly boyfriend. in between the two of us right now <laughs> and dario is i like their little sparring with words here oh yeah people used to bet against me when i fought in the pits and he looks over at his dar he would have bet against me. Yeah. Common yeah. novice mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and his star is so, he's so pompous. Totally. Because like, they're married at this point, right? We just don't see their marriage. I'm not is sure. Right? I'm not, I'm not sure actually. Because he says kings and queens never bet on the games. True. But maybe he's just referring to saying that because all the previous rulers have been kings. Oh, Maybe. Just are they married at this point in the book? Yes. Okay. That was funny. It's funny you asked too because we had, we were talking about it last uh, last time we recorded. Oh yeah, that's right. And I was like, uh, I can't remember. So afterwards, I looked it up and I'd like dubbed in that like, yeah, they're married and like made it sound oh, like that cool. was natural conversation. <laughs> nice. You know, awesome. Yeah. Um. 
And so his dad goes on to say, you know, I've spent much of my life in Marine. You know, larger men do triumph over smaller men in my far experience. more often than not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Danny is like <laughs> had enough of this. And she's like, has your experience ever involved actual fighting? You yourself. Have you ever tried to kill a man that was trying to kill you? Foreshadowing his imminent death and his inability to fight it. Oh, yeah. I didn't even pick up on that. I just thought it was such a <laughs> middle finger to him. Like, totally. shut up. <laughs> and then that's exactly what happens is that somebody's trying to kill him. And he's unable to try to kill a man that's trying to kill him because he has no experience in any actual fighting. <laughs> yeah. And then Dario, he's being so annoying. He's being <laughs> awesome. It's so great. Um, he's like, I used to fight people like this all the time. And, you know, he pulls out his lady dagger and he starts like... Whenever I got into the pit against a big beast like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love how he starts like fl flipping his dagger back and forth and he Very puts it up slick. to his dar's neck. <laughs> yeah, he puts it up to his own throat and then his dar's temple and his dar yeah, looks his dar's exceedingly like, oh uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, he's like squirming. <laughs> this is creepy. As Dario's blade dances and spins. Yes. And so this as dario is gloating about him beating all these big men in the fighting pits danny just seems entranced with it yeah she's she like, loves oh, it she's my like oh, my my bad oh. boy yeah it's so funny versus like the total noodle sitting on the other side of dario <laughs> yes whenever i saw a beast like that one standing across from me making his beast faces i knew i could rest easy slice <laughs> <laughs> best timing and dario uh, is just like mm, i'm backing away yeah, he doesn't now. even say anything <laughs> yeah. he just kind of like turns and walks away <laughs> such so a funny, funny moment so and Tyrion, funny. he like looks over and just doesn't yeah. say anything he's like fuck <laughs> yeah and uh his dar sees Tyrion's reaction right and he's like, he's what? He's just kind of you know, grossed Dick, out. You're not, you're not down with this, Tyrion? And he's like, I like Tyrion's uh, sentiment here. And, uh, and Danny seems to like it too. There's always been more than enough death in the world for my taste. I can do without it in my leisure time. And Danny's like, true that. Like, this is yeah. not my idea of fun. Yeah. And so his dar has to wax philosophic for a second. He's like, fair enough, yet... It's an unpleasant question, but what great thing has ever been accomplished without killing or cruelty? And Tyrion has to put it in perspective again, uh, saying, you know, it's easy to, to confuse with what has been with what should be, to paraphrase. And uh, especially when what has been has worked for you and your, your family and your people. Totally. Um, yeah, which is pretty cool. So I liked that sentiment. Tyrion's always got a way of putting things in perspective in a in an enlightened sort of way. Yes, he does for sure. Hisdar is like, I'm not, you know, he's like, I'm just talking about the necessary conditions of greatness. And Danny's like, like that's greatness. This these two guys cutting yeah. each other's heads off. That's what you see as greatness. And he's always about the city of Marine. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, it's it's it has existed long before you arrived and will remain standing long after we have returned to the dirt. And Tyrion is so funny. My father would have liked you because he's all about like 
tradition. Legacy and tradition. Yeah. So saying my father would have liked you, really, he's saying, it's AKA, I don't. I don't like you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Just so Definitely. Funny. And Danny knows that because she knows he killed his father. <laughs> so it's like a little like inside joke kind of thing. Yeah. So, and Danny also, I, lo- I love her response as well. One day your great city will return to the dirt as well. And his daughter's like, at your command? If need be. Fuck yeah. I love it. She's just like, you are such. Yeah. Like I will crush you if I have to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And at this point, the, the announcer is lining up a few more people. And as they continue to talk, they're not even paying attention to the great games that are so bloody important for tradition. Yeah. Um, the announcer goes a Miranese champion and his dart looks at the pit. Those men think they're dying for a good reason. Danny's like someone else's reason. Yeah, so his dar is like so. So your reasons are true, and their reasons are false. They don't know their own minds, but you do. And Tyrion's like, oh yeah, you're you're pretty eloquent, but being eloquent doesn't make you right. In my experience, eloquent men are right every bit as often as imbeciles. Gotta love Tyrion, <laughs> right? Or a Westerosi night. <laughs> they still don't notice like what's yeah. going on as the announcer says that. But Danny immediately hears Jorah's voice. And without looking, she, she recognizes it and turns dumbstruck towards, towards the, the sands. And like, I, I just thought her reaction was so good. Like she just like stops dead in her tracks. She's like, her, you've got to be kidding yeah, me. Her jaw is hanging and she just turns it's like, yeah, like, oh my God, he's back again. <laughs> and Jorah repeats the, the phrase, I fight and die for your glory, O glorious queen. And they're staring at each other. And, and it's just such a powerful moment. Jorah will prove his devotion one way or another. And like the last scene where she was hesitant to clap because the blood would be on her hands. Now, it's not just the blood of some random person. It's Jorah's blood potentially on her hands. Yeah. Someone that she, you know, while she has banished him, she doesn't want to see him die. She loves him, you know, and that's why she's so mad. It's because she cares. (laughs) Yeah. It's a platonic love, but it's a love nonetheless. And then like, if she didn't care about him that much, she wouldn't be this worked up about it. Right. No. So they're staring at each other and she's knows she needs to clap his star goes, your grace. And Daria's like, shut your shut mouth. Shut the fuck up. Mind your own goddamn business, his dar. This has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Like, and, this is intense. And Jorah is just like nodding at her like, like, please, Khaleesi, give me this one chance to, to fight for you. You know, to prove my devotion. And she sort of looks at him like, this is it. You know, this is your chance. Fight for me. And claps. And Jorah's sort of getting pummeled a little bit here at first. And every time he like gets knocked to the ground and Danny looks so stressed out. Like, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, because he's like with a big group of people too. It's not right. just like one-on-one. Yeah, it's, it's like a melee. Like free a free-for-all. Yeah, so intense. So he's getting punched in the face and slashed. He's and not doing that well. <laughs> yeah, surprise he must he's, he must be like a little distracted or something. Like what's going on? Usually he's much more on point than he is. Yeah, <laughs> this particular I think fight. he's 
I think he's all sorts of confused, you know, like... Been in the sun too long. We can all see that. <laughs> long in the tooth. <laughs> long in the tooth. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he loses his sword. He pulls out his dagger. He's getting trounced about and kills one guy. And then another guy comes up and ends up getting Jorah like down on the ground and he's he loses his blade and he's got the this other guy's sword like right to his throat basically and he looks over he looks at Danny over. and Danny's like panicking and Tyrion's like he's like you can end this and his is saying no she can't and then right as the guy lifts up his sword to finish off Jorah somebody else comes from behind and kills him like Arthur Dane basically yeah in the you back know? yeah and stabbed in the, the back the guy collapses and Jorah seizes the opportunity to grab his blade and hop back up to fight. And he's fighting against a guy with a spear at this point. The guy who killed that other guy. And the the guy, he's pretty good. He's spinning the spear around and doing all these fancy moves and everything. And Jorah is staying out of his range and fighting off the spear with his sword. And the guy rushes him and Jorah pulls one of the slickest moves I've seen. Yeah. On, yeah. In like a scenario like this, like nobody did anything this cool in gladiator. He, he does a somersault and in one fluid motion lunges coming out of the somersault and, and stabs the guy with his sword through the gut and then uh. leaves the guy sitting there impaled on the sword. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's yeah. Like, I noted Ugh. that too. Yeah. He's like hunched over and the sword is still sticking up out of his back. And Jorah just stands up like a badass, like, like kind of like cool guys don't look at explosions, like cool guys don't look at, you know, the dying guys or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he, he standing there looking at Daenerys, like, you know, this, you know, like I would give my life for you, Khaleesi, basically is what's going through his head. And all of a sudden he, a look comes across his eyes and he reaches backwards and grabs his, his dead opponent's spear and picks it up and launches it right towards Daenerys and everybody on the on the dais kind of freaks out for a second Dario grabs Danny and everything and whack the spear comes flying through and whizzes right past Daenerys and and Dario and crushes somebody and who who gets knocked off their feet and lands on their back and Dario looks over and the guy that the spear hit is where is wearing a golden harpy mask and dun, it's at dun, that dun. point, dun, 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 he looks up into the stands and everywhere, Ooh, all these so harpies creepy. are starting to stand up. Yeah, so The music creepy. is so creepy. I'll tell you that this song in the live experience is really cool, what they do. Oh, I bet. Oh, man, I can it, only imagine. Yeah, it's really creepy, like, not even going to lie. Yeah. I you can, feel like you're it. there. I bet. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Jorah's like, oh shit. And I mean, sorry, uh, Dario's like, oh shit. And starts looking around. Protect and, your queen. Yeah. It's like immediately like protect her. And his dar is kind of like looking around all freaked out too. And he's like, queen, like follow me. We, I know a way out. And right at that moment, whack, 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 like, like, uh, like, uh, Jojen just starts gets stabbed like five or six times in the chest real quick. And he drops and everybody's like, oh shit, they just stabbed his Dari. You know? yeah. <laughs> like we thought he was in with them. And uh, so all of a sudden Jorah is by Danny's side. He's rushed up to, to help protect his Khaleesi. 
And there's this moment where he reaches out and offers his hand to Danny and they have this look between the two of them where they're both just like everything that's happened before this, like we're going to forget it, you know, and start fresh basically. And this the whole conversation is just like happening between their eyes at this moment. Unspoken. As, yeah. As he holds out his hand and she reaches out and takes it and he leads her off. And it's just such an epic moment of like reconnection between the two that they just did such a fantastic job. These two actors of portraying all the emotion and all of these thoughts without actually saying anything. It's Definitely. just so, so good when you don't even need words to express all that. It's really, really, really good acting. Totally. So he takes her down to the sand. Gives me goosebumps. Sands of the pit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It takes her down to the sands of the pit and he's like this way. And they start to make it, make their way to an exit and the gate slams shut and harpies flood it. And Jorah's impaling people again. And Dario's like quick this way. And, Protect they start le- going the other way. And at this moment, it cuts over to Missande and a harpy starts to, to, to close in on her, close in on Missande. Yeah. And she looks like she's in danger. And then all of a sudden Tyrion <laughs> stepping up big again, like he always does in these battle scenes. He like, remember, remember when they're on the way to the Eyrie? Yeah. And, and he get beats ambushed? the shit out of that guy with this, uh, a with shield. A shield. Yeah. So he does a similar thing here, takes out the guy's knees or something and then slits his throat. I don't remember how he did it exactly, but he kills this guy real quick. Yeah. Yeah. And he helps Missandei and she's like, my hero, you know? (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So they go down and meet up with Danny and Dario and Jorah as they're starting to cross the pit to the other side and they're crossing through the middle, trying to get to the other gate. And it's just too late. The harpies are just coming down, descending into the pit from like everywhere. Bees. Like bees just surrounding this whole group in the middle of the fighting pits. And the the tension in this moment is just like off the charts. Wow. And I thought for this, sure someone important was going to die here. Absolutely. Like, it was, it's also, it's episode nine. Yeah. <laughs> we know what happens in episode for, nine. Yes. Yeah, and I was just dies. like, I, we just had Shireen and I'm like, like oh, God, oh my who's God, next? who's next? Yeah. I thought maybe Tyrion or Jorah were my two thoughts yeah. because they had that moment like, I forgive you, like I trust you again. And I thought maybe he was going to die because of that. Yep. And interestingly, she goes with Jorah instead of staying with Dario there too. Worth noting. I think because Dario was in in combat, like I think he was fighting somebody. So it was like Jorah or nobody, you know? Right. So she knows that he's going to protect her. Yeah, definitely. So the, they have a few unsullied surrounding them trying to like with all their spears pointed outwards facing at this crowd of, harpies that are forming everywhere and it's tense and then all of a sudden the harpies start striking from various different directions and unsullied are impaling them and getting cut down themselves and the chaos is just closing in closer and closer to Danny and Missandei and Tyrion as Jorah's fighting and Dario's fighting and it's just looking hopeless and hope so hopeless and Danny's head is just dashing around like looking back and forth. She looks so frightened. She's like so so frightened. It's 
She does a great job. She's really, like, really good. Her arms are out and she's like kind of running and she's panicking. And yeah, even Dario she, is looking terrified. Yeah, I love when she and she goes to find Masande so they can like run next to each other. Yeah, like, she reaches for her like, come on, come on. Like, let's go. Yep. And and all like the combat is getting so close that a dead harpy falls right in front of Tyrion who looks down at it and he's like, oh shit, like this is not good. It's looking real fucking bad. It's bad. Really, really bad. The tension is, it's like unparalleled. And so Danny reaches down and grabs Missandei's hand. And we get a close up of the ring that she has, oh, the pearl ring that she drops as the breadcrumb. I, yeah, I didn't really notice that. And so they're holding hands and they make eye contact with each other. Like this is the end, you know, but and she has blood on her dress and her, the yep. bottom of it's getting dirty. Like she's, you know, not just sitting there pristine. Like this is the, this is it. climax of the civil war between the slaves and the harpies and, She's literally in the middle, in the middle of, it. of it. Totally. So they, they're looking at each other and it looks like they're sort of accepting that this is how they're going to die. And they are oh, together. She closes and her eyes. Yeah. And she, she just wants a her. moment of, she just wants a moment of peace and clarity before she dies. <laughs> Off Drummond! in the distance. Yeah. And just the, the, the stadium goes silent. As they hear the dragon screech in the distance and the camera looks up at the sky and out of nowhere, a fireball blasts I into the screen that. and Drogon comes bursting through the flames. Oh my God. One of the coolest fucking pictures ever. It was so badass. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Amazing. And like the flames are like licking off of his shoulders and everything as he propels right and he's through it and screaming in screaming. there i mean he's he's going super he's fast like, don't you talk bad about my mama <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> lands on the ground right by danny and just starts breathing fire at all the all the he harpies rips and everything that guy, and like shakes it and yeah and just oh like yeah usually apart. that usually that sound happens before a big fire burst but in this case, that descending tremolo um, cello sound uh, happens right before Drogon grabs that guy with his jaws. And so flames are shooting everywhere and the chaos is, is just continuing. And all of a sudden, a spear catches Drogon right in the back of his neck and he <sighs> freaks him out. And Danny just looks horrified. And more spears are flying and he's getting hit by all these different spears that are like sticking out of him. While he's roasting people. Well, he's just, yeah, just roasting people mercilessly. And Danny is sort of freaking out. She, she, it's, it's great too. And she, when, when he lands, when he shows up, she kind of sighs in relief. Like, oh, She's like, Thank my God. boy, you know, he's here. And it's and he sensed that I needed him again. Yeah, that's worth talking about too. Like she closes his eye, her eyes, and all of a sudden he's there. Like it seems like there's some sort of like psychic connection between the two of them, and he just like shows up when she needs him. He does it here. He does it again when after um, after she survives being unburnt the second time at the Dosh Kaleen. Yeah, and she senses him around the corner when all the <laughs> when all the uh, her new Kalazar is riding with her, basically. 
Yeah. So, um, and earlier before this episode too, when he is, she's at the top of the pyramid oh, yeah. and he's at all the stressed top. out and he shows up to, for moral support. <laughs> yeah. Just for a second. Before flying away. And so Danny is, looks pained, really pained as he's being repu- repeatedly wounded by all these spears and she screams her, his name, Drogon. And he, he's flight fighting off all these people and everything. And then operating purely on instinct, Danny begins to walk to Drogon in a beautiful type of protective motherly moment where her own concerns flee with the wind and she just is propelled to her, her child and she walks towards him and pulls a spear out of his neck and he spins toward her and... And it's like, you you think that he's going to like roast her head off, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But instead there's no flames that come out and uh, maybe a little bit different in the books. Uh, oh. Maybe. <laughs> and just wah, blasting air in her face. And there's this amazing shot where it cuts to like maybe 15, 20 feet behind Danny. And you see her dress blowing in the wind and her hair. Yeah. Because he's <laughs> screaming up. right in her face. Yeah, he's screaming right in her face, this big massive dragon. And everybody there has she to just, just be like... She just stands her ground. Yeah, she just, just stands, stands there. there like, you, like, it's her fucking kid, you know? She's not backing down, you know? Yeah, and it's just fucking amazing. Everybody there has to just be like, oh my God, what is happening right now? And so Ugh. he realizes who it is and stops screaming and calms down for a second. And she reaches out to touch his nose again, sort of like at the top of the pyramid, like you were mentioning before. And right as she's about to touch him, another spear gets him. He screeches in pain. Screeches again. And again, she's operating purely on instinct. She acts. Her, her only concern right now is saving Drogon. Whereas Drogon's concern was saving her. She knows that Drogon is not going to leave unless she's with him. Unless she's leaving too. So in order to save Drogon, she needs to figure out a way out of there so that Drogon will leave as well. So she just instinctively hops astride. I'm going to ride the dragon. Yes. Just pure instinct and says, Valad in his ear and he starts running forward towards Tyrion and they're just like, oh God, everybody kind of gets out of the way. And for the first time in hundreds of years, a dragon rider is born Ugh. as Drogon takes to the skies. And <laughs> Danny grips onto those spindly little spikes on his back and he's just launching up into the air, his wings pumping. And oh man, it just looks so the cool. The look on Tyrion's face, I feel, is the look of like what Jorah expressed to him about being cynical after hearing dragon sing to their mother. Oh, right. Right. Um, (laughs) Like it's hard to be a cynic after that. Yeah, totally. I think watching this young queen get on a giant black dragon and fly out of there When there was a second before that it seemed like there was no escape, no option, imminent doom. 
seeing this, like what it, can't it you believe in his, now? It completely changed his perspective on, on reality, the future, and reality and, and what's life possible. itself. It's it's it symbolizes hope that you know that there's hope in dire circumstances that anything can happen that miracles can take place. And Tyrion is just astounded by this. And it's it's it the look on Tyrion's face is important and of course, but also importantly are the important are the looks on Jora, Dario, and Missande's face. Because they've been around the whole the dragons the whole time. But even they're blown away by this. They're like, oh my god. They're like, what is happening right now? Mm. Which is so Crazy. cool. And I, I like that you mentioned that quote by Jora about how can he be a cynic after hearing this dragons singing, you know, because, um, what, what I keep saying that for the first time in hundreds of years, a dragon rider is born. I sort of modified a quote from the, the, it's the last line of a game of Thrones of book one in the series where the book closes out with as Daenerys Targaryen rose to her feet, her black hissed pale smoke venting from its mouth and nostrils. The other two pulled away from her breasts and added their voices to the call, translucent wings unfolding and stirring the air. And for the first time in hundreds of years, the night came alive with the music of dragons. Mm, love it. Yeah. So that's like the, the song of dragons. And Talk about it being poetic. Yeah. So I just thought that, you know, that was a significant moment. The moment that dragons were born again for the first time in hundreds of years and the next, the next development of that is this moment where the first dragon rider in hundreds of years is born. Mm. <laughs> sort of expounding on the recent dragon, um, you know, development. Sure. Which is I just love it. so fucking cool, man. It's so epic. And <laughs> she flies off into the sky past the pyramid <laughs> and... Like that. Luckily, Tyrion and Jorah and Missande and Dario weren't all killed at this moment because none of them are paying attention to what's going on around <laughs> them anymore. I thought that too. Yeah, I'm like they're that, still there. Yeah, I'm assuming that all of the harpies as well are just kind of awestruck, looking up into the sky, and probably stopped fighting as well or something. Yeah, I mean, you kind of get awestruck by a dragon, you know in an arena <laughs> totally <laughs> roasting Man, people so fucking cool right mm, it's amazing <sighs> anything else you want to add about this whole thing no it, it's one of my favorite scenes yeah for and sure there, there were people that criticized the, the way that they did the graphics of like of um the views of danny flying on drogon in this scene but i thought it looked really cool i thought it looked cool too i mean it's Maybe not as clean as some of the other CGI that they've done on the show, but it's it's fucking amazing. She's riding yeah. a dragon, and it looks like she's riding a dragon. So totally, and even if like if they cheaped out maybe a little bit on the dragon riding, it's worth it just for that expensive shot of Drogon flying in through the flames. In my opinion, oh totally, that's got to be one of the top five shots of the whole show right there. Oh yeah, he's like a giant fireball. Yeah, I mean that's like the coolest shit ever. I'm having trouble thinking of anything that is is that cool on this show. Um, I mean, maybe Viserion coming through with the blue flames at the wall at the end. Yeah, I was thinking that 
the blue flames were pretty epic. But flying through the fireball here, like, (laughs) dude, that is next level. So yeah, that pretty much wraps up all my notes. You got anything else you want to talk about? No, I don't have any more notes. All right, then stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. Sci-Fi.com, Kit Harrington thinks Game of Thrones' final season was supposed to break the actors <laughs> by Elizabeth Rain. Jon Snow has been through way too many near-death experiences, getting murdered and reanimated, facing an ice zombie horde, and having a romp with a woman he doesn't know is his aunt. Who even knows what he's going to get hit with in season eight, <laughs> if it's not someone else's sword, of course. Even after all that, Kit Harrington believes the final season of Game of Thrones was, quote, designed to break us, as he recently told GQ in an interview. When you're filming a show with six epic episodes, each of which is supposed to be like its own feature-length movie, it's understandable that everyone involved would end up about as alive as one of those ice zombies. You have to wonder whether living in that universe and actually trekking beyond the wall or engaging in close combat with undead things that just won't die is less exhausting. Quote, the last season of Game of Thrones seemed to be designed to break us. Everyone was broken at the end. We were sleep deprived. It was like it was designed to make you think, I'm sick of this. (laughs) I remember everyone walking around towards the end going, I've had enough now. I love this. It's been the best thing in my life. I'll miss it one day, but I'm done. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's so hardcore. Yeah. Imagine that. Like, they were talking about 55 day shoot for a battle that's going to take place in the next season and oh just for God. like an hour of footage. <laughs> yeah. Fucking so. awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Nice. Poor, poor them. <laughs> okay. Next we have from insider an actor from the original unaired game of Thrones pilot is returning for HBO's prequel spinoff. That's cool. Yeah, totally. By Kim Renfro in the summer of 2010 game of Thrones showrunners, David Benioff and DB Weiss were on their second attempt at filming a pilot episode for HBO's newest series. This meant recasting and reshooting a large portion of the episode. One of the actors who was unfortunately left on the cutting room floor was Jamie Campbell Bauer, who recently reprised his role as the young Gellert Grindelwald in Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. But nearly 10 years ago, Bauer played Sir Waymar Royce, the Night's Watch Ranger in charge of the mission that goes deadly wrong during the cold open of the series' very first episode. 
in a Very blog interesting. post. So, so he was replaced yeah. by that Matt Damon looking guy. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Mm. Interesting. In a bog. In a, in a bog. <laughs> in a blog. <laughs> in a blog post from that summer, author George R.R. R. Martin says Bauer had signed on to a star series, Camelot, by the time HBO was doing reshoots. Unfortunately, Jamie's shooting schedule with Camelot conflicted with our own, so there was no way he could come back and, re and reprise his performance as Sir Waymar, Martin wrote. But we wish him luck with his new, much larger role. And who knows, if Game of Thrones should happen to have a longer run than Camelot, maybe one day he can come back and play another, much larger role for us. Perhaps all these years later, Martin's blog posts have come true. Camelot did indeed end after just one season on Stars, and now Bauer will have a role on HBO's first currently untitled Game of Thrones prequel show. For now, the network has only ordered a pilot episode to be filmed, not an entire series. But it's shaping up to be a very interesting premise. So far, we don't know anything about the characters, the newly announced cast will play with the exception of Naomi Watts role as a charismatic sociolite hiding a dark secret. If the prequel does brush up against the White Walkers, then it's possible Bauer's role will be something a full circle to his unseen portrayal as Sir Waymar. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Good for him. Back in the back in the game. For sure. Yeah. It's killer. Moving on to Game of Thrones and history. From Bustle, 11 times Game of Thrones was inspired by true stories from history by Charlotte Allen. The Fall of Rome. Before the Targaryens brought their dragons to fantasy England, they were part of a vast empire over in the fantasy, fantasy Mediterranean. Old Valyria bears a striking resemblance to the Roman Empire. Both were technically technically republics, both empires enslaved people from all across fantasy Europe and the fantasy Middle East. Both arose on a peninsula in the warm climate, both built roads and buildings with wildly advanced technology for their time, and both eventually collapsed, leading to centuries of conflict. I love that parallel. Yeah, we mentioned that when we got the the image of Jorah and Tyrion going right. through Valyria. The aqueduct looking structures and everything yes. like that. Yeah, totally. And the, uh, the, the roads, the Valyrian roads, which um, you get more details about in the books, but as Tyrion is traveling with Varys and Illyrio Mopatis from Pentos to Volantis, they're traveling along these old ancient Valyrian roads which are built so well that they're they're like thirty feet wide of white stone, and they just go. St they're straight giant roads that go for miles and miles and miles, and they're still just in pristine condition after thousands of years. They're oh, known crazy. for being master engineers, so it's just kind of cool. Awesome. Next, Pompeii and the pink and white terraces. In real history, of course, there was there were a whole mess of different factors that led to the fall of Rome like invasions and over-reliance on slave labor and too much military spending, and I'll add devaluation of the Roman denarius, their currency. 
But in Martin's world, Valyria just kind of goes up in flames. It's destroyed in a single natural cataclysm, sort of like Atlantis. Poof! Which I added as well there. This volcanic destruction pulls from real-world events like the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, which completely buried the ancient, city, ancient Roman city of Pompeii in burning ash. More recently, there was the loss of the pink and white terraces, two natural wonders of New Zealand that were buried in an eruption of Mount Tarawera and only just rediscovered. That's pretty interesting. I didn't know about that. For sure. And the whole being destroyed overnight in a massive cataclysm thing is very remindful of Atlantis, which is also, an, you know, obviously an ancient advanced civilization, sort of like Valyria was. Mm-hmm. That's another great parallel to be drawn. Definitely. Do you hear that? Call, call. Princess Sarah of House Von Daltrin. The way Drogon flies in is brilliant through the flame, lol. And I swear, I always rewind it like five times to see that and to see Tyrion's reaction. Yes, awesome. Epic. <laughs> Love it. Agreed. It's one of the coolest moments in the whole show, like we were just saying. So awesome. Totally. Thanks for writing in, Princess Sarah. Yeah. Sir Matthew of House Rep writes Melisandre was adamant that sacrificing Shireen to the flames was vital to the war against the Great Other. She thought it would help Stannis best Ramsay and that it would ensure he would be there for the long night to come. But what it Shireen's life was the cost for the new, for, for the resurrection of Jon Snow. As Miri Maz Dur said, only a life can pay for a life. I like that. Yeah, totally. Also, it really pissed me off that Celise was the one to have second thought as soon as the pyre was lit. She never had a kind word for her daughter, seriously. Yeah, it's pretty messed up, honestly. The grand opening of the fighting pits was pretty epic. Was totally that a Bravosi water dancer fighting Jorah at the end there? Oh, I had oh, that same thought. Man. I just forgot to write it down. I think it was because he had the, the thinner sword. Uh-huh. And he was like moving around like dancing a little bit more not so like crisp very interesting yeah sir matthew goes on and that last scene of danny riding off on drogon like she was in the never-ending story was beautiful yes, right that's was. what people keep comparing it to the never-ending story yeah lady sarah of the dust bunnies this episode was the first one I ever watched live. I was sitting with my friends at the restaurant that I worked at, and my boss, who was also a big fan of the show, put it on the big screen. The most captivating scene was when you see Celise slowly changes her mind about the burning of her daughter. As a mom of two young children, I felt physically sick watching this unfold. I was sobbing next to my coworkers. I was known for six months as the girl who cried. Keep up the great work. Both of you make my dreary housework bearable. Well, thanks, Lady Sarah. Good to hear from you. And sorry you were known as the girl who cried for six months. Although, it's kind of funny. you got to admit that, right? <laughs> Hope to hear from you again soon. Lady Sarah of House Larkham. I thought this was another weak episode in this series. It felt like this episode was badly written, especially the dragon pit fight. It felt a bit clunky and not Game of Thrones worthy. Ah, oh, sorry to hear you felt that way, Lady Sarah. Lady Lucy of House Jane. Three words, Marin fucking Trant. 
Maybe a few more than three words. I love how brave and steadfast Laria is. Although I hate what she does to Marcella, I love that she stands for Oberyn without hesitation. Yeah, I can get behind that too. Although the story of the Dance of the Dragons is about the Targaryens, it could also be about the Baratheons. Brothers fighting brothers? Stannis is a cunt. No two ways about it. I hate the Shireen scene so much. I just can't watch it. Even for the rewatch. Yeah, I feel you. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty brutal there. Hisdar. Just making sure everything is in order? Traitorous bastard. And where the fuck are all of the Unsullied? You may have noticed that this episode makes me somewhat rage-filled. Rage! Rage! Fucking rage! 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 Fucking rage! Let it all out. Lady Alicia of House Stout. Ugh, this is literally the most heartbreaking episode. It's so, so sad how Stannis tells Shireen the story of her grayscale and how he saved her life when she was just a baby. When he was told to send her to Valyria to live out her days with the stone men, he refused. Because you did not belong across the world with the bloody stone men. You are the Princess Shireen of the House Baratheon, and you are my daughter. He then agrees to burn her at the stake. And for what? To melt the snow? Ugh, he makes me sick. I would be really interested to know how exactly her grayscale was cured. It is obviously different than with Jorah, since his was completely removed by Sam, and hers is still on her face. Would love to hear your thoughts. That is a good question, Lady Alicia. I have wondered that as well. I'll have to do some deep diving and get back to you on that. Thanks for asking, and great to hear from you. Lord Nick of House Wiccans. Just had a thought. What if Lightbringer was just the first Valyrian steel sword, but otherwise wasn't particularly special? If I'm not mistaken, those stories are older than the Valyrian Freehold. Everyone hypes it up as this unique thing, which it would have been then. The story of Nissa Nissa could just be a description of how it's made. Folded metal tempered with the death of a loved one. The Valyrians archive this by making slaves stab someone they love or something, rather than sacrifice themselves. They may have even improved on the process with the introduction of Dragonfire. Very interesting thought. Yeah, it could be. Uh, maybe Valyrian Steel is just a reverse-engineered version of um, older, some older prototype made by Azor Ahai. All right, that's our show, episode 91. Thanks Woo! for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. Yes, indeed. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast and patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. It's super easy to do. Oh, yeah. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke the Low Duke. Thank you guys so much. We love you. We totally love you. Thank you. You should also check out Sirenicide, which is the brainchild of Archmaster Stitches, who will be joining us next episode. It's a serialized horror drama podcast in sort of the style of the old 40s radio shows. 
a horror story taking place in Texas that you guys will really like. I voice act, act on it, so does Johnny Stitches, and you guys will definitely enjoy that. Check it out. Go to sirenicide.com and start right at the beginning. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. She has been key behind the scenes working to get Game of Microphones up and running. She's also a world-class artist. She's amazing. Oh Super my God. Sick. Amazing. So check she just her. did a really good Rhaegar Targaryen portrait too. Oh, I saw that. I don't oh know my if she's God. publicly released it yet, but maybe we can get her to drop it on, on the yes. Facebook page or something. <laughs> it's so amazing. She's incredibly talented. Check her out at fineartsbylisa.com, instagram.com slash fineartsbylisa, and facebook.com slash fineartsbylisa. And I think she'll be joining us on a show next weekend. <gasps> Yay! We'll all, uh, you know, do a podcast oh together. It should be fun. I love it. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Next episode, we'll be covering Season 5, Episode 10, Mother's Mercy, the Season 5 finale. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. And while you're there, give us a like and review. Imslap! You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. What's this one now? The Dance of Dragons, a true telling by Grandmaster Munkin. Well, that sounds like a proper story. Sir Byron Swan wanted to kill the dragon Vagar. He polished his shield for a week till the steel was like a mirror. Then he crouched behind it and crept forward, hoping the dragon would only see his own reflection. But the dragon only saw a dumb man holding a mirrored shield. And burnt him to a crisp. Got it. Cool. Well, cool, but not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody who's in the palace, somebody with access to the, you know, like top, top security clearance, basically. Someone who hates the Lannisters. Yeah. So all signs point to Ilaria. (laughs) Yes. Where somebody punches somebody in the face, you don't execute them. You know, you punch them back in the face and call it even (laughs) type thing. Or if you say it like my son Justin, I'm going to punch him in the back of the face. (laughs) So they're doing their thing over there, slapping each other. Slut. (laughs) (laughs) And Bronn looks all disheveled there for a second. I know. Which is kind of a good look for him. (laughs) Dizzy. I wonder if this may foreshadow a little bit that... Danny and John stay together. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Is is it wrong to say? (laughs) 
how much for your little clam? Oh, God. I'm like, you're gross. You're gross. And Aria's like, I love oysters, clams, and cockles. <laughs> Pure nonsense. He's all for the, the banker's trickery, which is, <laughs> which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like a serious issue <laughs> for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, turn the other cheek unless you're money changer, in which case I'll whip you. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And the guy's like, this is fuck. Everyone's just like, this is really awkward. Awkward. Yeah. He's such an oaf. He's a boob. Boob. <laughs> boob. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, they're both like, this is really happening, huh? This is awkward. Yeah, awkward. definitely. <laughs> yeah, awkward. It, they did a wonderful job, but it's... It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> You're my father. All right. I'm the princess of House Shireen. And gather yeah, something you can do. We can sacrifice you. <laughs> Lord of light, protect us. For the night is dark and full of terrors. It's like, you're a terror. Yeah, you are the terror. You can see his teeth just like just mashing each other and oh by the way your wife is hanging from a tree over here <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah fuck yeah fuck me god damn you can't have nice things <laughs> you just can't have nice things yeah and the dragon dangling around her oh, neck oh my god necklace. i want that necklace i want that danny and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just making sure that plans are all laid for you to die in a few minutes. Love you, babe. Yes, whenever I saw a beast like that one standing across from me making his beast faces, I knew I could rest easy. Slice. <laughs> <laughs> Best timing. <laughs> and out of nowhere, a fireball <laughs> blasts I into the screen. I love that. 